Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Lime Succession. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my co-host, Spencer Spencer. How are you? Legitimately surprised that four seasons in, not even the back half, we're the back, like, okay. what, third I'm, d- I'm, the show? I'm done. I'm just going to kick back. Spencer loved this episode, folks. He's going to go for two hours. I'm done. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kicking it back to you. I mean, this is a great episode of television. I'm just, I'm caught off guard. The show can not only could still surprise me, but still captivate me. It's like, you know, the... Even, like, the structure of this episode, the first half lulled me in that we're going back to, like, season one, Shiv and Tom, that I was kind of, like, let down that the pace was so slow, and then the back half came around and it couldn't stop sprinting to the very end. This was good television. This was entertaining television. This is the kind of television that upends the season week by week in a way that is enthralling to watch. What can I say? I love this episode. This was an extremely good episode of television. It's sad to me there's only three episodes left. And I'm, I know I'm flip-flopping. I know when we started the coverage of season four, I was like, yeah, it's it's probably time for it to end. But this was just so good that I'm like, damn, I can't believe we only have three episodes left. But this was a wonderful – yeah, I know. It's, just, it's a Spencer special. He loves it when shows leave at the top of their game, and that is absolutely what they're doing. I felt like this episode was damn near perfect. It was – enthralling it's entertaining it wasn't over the top it was believable it it just gave me it sprinkled in that succession dialogue that i just live for i just love it so mm-hmm. much and and we get we start to get toward a resolution which folks buckle up my guy kendall might win this fucking thing and 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 i know you all are gonna hate it i know y'all don't like it i know everybody wants Shiv to win but Shiv picked the wrong horse and it doesn't look good for her right now and that really threw me for a loop because I expected, talked about on this podcast, I expected that Madsen was getting pressure we didn't know about. I expected that there was a lot more going on in his operations than it seemed. I didn't think he was just... Full of shit. Guy with a hundred million dollars who could do whatever he wanted. I didn't think he was that. I didn't, but I didn't think it would be outright just he's a fraud, right? And and, and if he's outright, if what they showed us this episode is true, which is that his subscriber numbers are massively juiced in India, India, a country with a billion people, then it, his house of cards could collapse in the first 15 minutes of the next episode. Like, Madsen might not be around very long, because this is a level of fraud that would not only end this deal, but end him as the CEO of this company. And it's, it's fraud we've seen before, too. Isn't this almost exactly what was happening with Valter? Weren't they padding their numbers or padding their revenue streams in terms of, you know, getting into the sale with, with Waystar, only for Kindle then find it out later? Yeah, guess who found that out? Kindle. And he, when he found it out, the whole thing collapsed with Valter and Kindle won. And I wonder if they're running that back here. You know, we got, we get a lot of people writing in about the show. People feel very strongly about the show about us there's some mm-hmm. people who like you spencer shocker there's people who don't there's people who don't like me um and don't like what i say on this podcast but i think the thing that interests me the most instead of all of the not all of the, i should say all of the 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 personal attacks on amateur podcasters <laughs> is is this thing that we somehow were not fair to Shiv, right? I, I, we keep, we keep, I'm telling you, we keep getting this and we got, well, we got a couple well, of criticisms. Yeah. Yeah. We got, well, we got one this week that talked about like this concept that like the writers were, are setting up for basically all of the women on the show to win, that it's like a, some sort of like statement on women. And like, as much as that would be kind of cool, I honestly don't think that they're making a statement as much on gender as they are rich versus poor. Right. I think it's more of a class thing and I I can't get away from that. And then like what they did to shift this episode, I think might hint that 
Shiv at the top of the mountain with a flagpole posted. Like, I'm not sure that's the ending we're going to get, right? But, but I will say this. That person who wrote in who was talking about all the women are going to win, et cetera, et cetera. There was one thing they said that I think was absolutely right, which is Jerry has them all by the balls. And she, good Lord. And she's going to run with that. And I, I do think that's bearing out, but, but the, I don't know. I, I just felt like maybe this episode, while it was wonderful, the people who have their hats on and the rooting interest, it probably really threw people for a loop. This concept that Kindle, Kindle is like kind of coming out on top here. I mean, it, it's not clear whether he's ultimately going to win. It's Kindle. We can always find a way to lose at the 11th hour. But he has a plan in a way we didn't think he had. We thought that he was, his, his, his plan was wreck the deal, still stay CEO, profit somehow. That was it. Now he's actually proposing what his dad originally wanted to do. That, you know, actually engage in a reverse merger. Take over Gojo by means of crashing their stock price by, by re- releasing this information. That's potential doable enough to the point he got Frank interested in supporting him with this. Isn't that the barometer for common sense on the show? Like if, if Frank if, if Frank if, gives you the hmm, yeah maybe if, if Frank or Jerry are in your camp, that, it's an indication things are going very well. But week by week, this is a horse race of a show. But this episode more than the other seems to be just setting up the the generationally cyclical nature of nature of how these people carry themselves. Of where this episode seems to be really heavily emphasizing the comparisons between Kendall and his dad. With very similar statements, with very similar objectives, with him alienating himself from his siblings and all around him. I think the likelihood of Kendall ending up in charge, but just completely alone from either his own kids, from his siblings, maybe even have like a similar relationship between Logan and Ewan as him, as himself and either Shiv or Roman. There are signs there, but week by week we are continually surprised, so it's hard to make a bet. So here on Line of Succession, we will cover the recap. I'll lead the recap every week. Spencer will chime in with a lot of really well-written, pre-planned jokes, probably Succession-esque dialogue. I think oh, it's probably what he's got coming for us this week. Then we'll jump to Line of Succession, which is line of the episode, best line of dialogue of the episode. We have a lot of really good nominees this week. Holy smokes, the writing was good. Damn Spencer, straight. did you know this about the writing, that they're actually going to sell the, the scripts to this show in a book? HBO mm-hmm. sponsored this? No. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how different. that's how highly they think of the writing. Now the writing is really good, so I, I, I'm not going to criticize that too much. But I'm not sure I'll be buying it. Then we have Roy of the episode, where we award a Roy that won the episode and a Roy that lost the episode. And I think you know Willa Willa's a Roy now, so she's in. She's in. Willa and Connor as a team are going to be. It's going to be hard pressed for anyone to overcome them, given they're just power couple moments this episode. Yeah, they're wonderful. And then we will jump to. Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. Spencer, you got some relationship advice of the episode for us this week? A couple little things I want to talk about. Yeah. Clear the air. Is that your, is that your <laughs> advice? Let's clear the air. Maybe clear the air earlier. Maybe don't wait th- four seasons to clear the air. We, t- we got to see what happens when you wait four seasons to clear the air. So one of my favorite wrestlers is named LA Knight and he comes out and he'll say, let me talk to you. That's kind of like his like catchphrase. Let me talk to you. Sure. I think my new catchphrase of the podcast is going to be, let's air it out. Let's air it out. <laughs> You want to air it out? You really want to air it out? You really want to air this out? Let's do it. Okay. All right. Let's jump into the recap. It's season four, episode seven, Tailgate Party. We only have three left, folks. Only three left to succession. Oh, no. Recap has some Logan in the video. So he's still getting, still getting them checks. Brian Cox still getting them checks. Man needs the money. Man, you know, living, living hand to mouth. That's what he's doing. Well, he's doing ads for McDonald's. Uh, 
That, Live in hand to mouth, clearly. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like that at all. I felt like that took out some of the gusto of his character when you hear his his <laughs> voice be like, Don't you want a Big Mac? I'm like, Ugh, I don't know about that. Hmm. Uh back to the re- recap. Uh Valentine's Day card line from Kendall, stuff about the deal, Mats and Roman, Jerry, fire Jerry, Shiv's godmother Jerry, fuck it, bro, drop her in the end zone. Who are you gonna fire next? That's a line from Kendall when he was on tilt. Carl saying, If you fuck up this deal, I'll fucking squeal. So we still Still, I'm gonna have to deal with Carl at some point. I think that recap is uh, making that very clear. Yeah. And Kendall putting number one in the sand. Why, Spencer? Because uh, he's the number one boy. He's the number one boy. We start with the succession music. Tom getting some sort of breakfast ready with Greg's help. It's interesting to me. Does Greg come over to help him prepare breakfast for his wife? Yes, apparently. What an like, assistant! You know, Greg 20, is like an all timer, twenty four seven. Guys on call whenever he is needed for any duty that you know you can imagine. Yeah, holy crap. I mean, you have to, like, I need to make breakfast for my wife, fire 400 people, and then impress a billionaire. Go. And let's be fair. Greg does all of those things. He does every single one of them this episode. Shout out, Greg. Oh, Rasmussen, Rasmussen. This is Tom talking to Chevy. Bring Chev some breakfast. Pulling. Tom establishes its election eve. Guess what Father Sexmas has brought you? Hot, fresh pulling. Uh, yeah. I- I, I was starting frustrated with this episode because I thought, I thought the show was just going to immediately lead to these characters being back almost word for word, their season one selves, insufferable as they were then. I'm like, oh, come on. Really? You're going to throw all that aside and there's going to be naturally, per, you know, naturally what they were. I know you're doing the cyclical nature of relationships, but all of the last few seasons you're going to throw aside. Show pulled a fast one on me with that one, folks. One of my best friends listens to this podcast and he always gives me the, the rundown of what he thinks. And, uh, he, he especially is excited to hear your take on the Tom and Shiv fight and what you think it all means, uh, specifically. So what, what I think okay. we'll do when we get there is maybe, uh, I'll do the, I'll kind of run it, run it down and you can give sort of the translation okay. from, from my friend of what you think this all means in the ether. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. Looking right. forward to that. You know what that is? That's a tease to keep, uh, keep that one listener. Uh, that was a tease. <laughs> <laughs> Shiv looks at it. It has Jimenez, which is a Democratic candidate, up by four. And honestly, folks, is up four enough for a Democrat now? Well, is that uh, really, is it, that, I, 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 if a Democrat's up four, I'm not sure I feel like they're going to win the Electoral College. In, in fairness, if he did actually give a Rasmussen polling, a Democrat up four, looking pretty solid. Yeah, I guess that's true. Rasmussen very rarely has Democrats up that much in a national poll. She asked Tom how he's going to play it. He says he doesn't know. This is so wonderful. This is like Fox News in a fucking uh, to a T. Amplify it, piss off the base. Option A or B, deny it, shit it, bury it. Yes, strategy summarized right there. Then Shiv gets a text from Madsen. Tom asks what he wants. Shiv, he thinks the living plus stock bump. My guy Kendall got a stock bump. What? I, I, it's maybe fading. It may be slowing down. So Matson's seeing opportunity here. And folks, folks, I, I, I'm joking about the Mike Kendall thing. Like, I mean, this <laughs> are is, you? This is are a, you? This is a long term joke in the podcast. <laughs> I'm very aware he's a fucked up individual. Like, I, I don't want to hear. You it, have been ride or die, Kendall, from episode one, season one. He is your boy. He's he my, is your number, number one. My boy number more one than ever was Logan's. It's interesting. My my my, my notes actually say, "Living plus stock bump is faded," and he wants to know what else my brothers have cooking. That's end quote. And then my comment, ah, so there was a living plus stock bump. Number one boy, Spencer. <laughs> I don't even 
need to say anything. Your subconscious is speaking to your loyalty. <laughs> Tom asked if Madsen is coming, and apparently that's a no. He doesn't want to swim around my dad's bullshit pre-election, brain-dead AOL era legacy media putrid stuffed mushroom fuckfest. Ooh, we get some lines this episode. You get some lines. You also... That, that felt like a very, you know, I'm, I'm a tech billionaire way of describing something I don't like. Man, welcome to the family, Madsen. You fit right in with the Roy's talking like that. I, 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 this is why Shiv's intrigued by him. For now. I emphasize for now. Tom then gives a little party present for being such a foxy little minx. Tom then says, <sighs> you don't like that line, foxy little I, minx? I, I don't like the two of them doing their weird season one flirting again. I didn't like it back then. I certainly don't like it now. I think I love it. I can't, I can't tell, but I think I'm landing on I love it. I, I just like when people Enjoy have Enjoy it now. Shit. I just, yeah, it's true. It's about over. I like when people have weird shit like that. I think it's pretty, I don't know. I just like it. It makes me, it may, I guess, I guess it's the romantic Emmy Spencer. I guess I feel like when both of these people do this type of shit, which has happened basically the last episode and a half, right? Yes. Then maybe they found the right person, right? Cause like nobody else is going to like this shit. Like they found the right people. <laughs> these two people found each other. And that's perfect. As we confirm later, what this is, is massive overcompensating. They're trying to treat everything what? as okay. I don't they're know trying that. to just what? put a, they're trying to put a little cover on it to make it look oh look at us we're happy and sexy and you know in this kind of fresh relationship relationship phase of things and in reality they've addressed none of their shit and it's waiting to blow up. All right, so you're starting to give us a hint of what you think this all means that this would that this was put on, it was fake and it was leading to a blow up, right? That's what you're kind of saying? Yes. Okay. All right. He gives her a scorpion, which, you know, Tom's supporter that I am, I don't even understand this one. It's fucking strange. I mean, this appears to be the whole scorpion and the frog reference. about you know, the idea about, you know, the frog leading the scorpion across the stream. The the scorpion stabs him in the back and the frog's like, why'd you do that? And the scorpion just shrugs and says, hey, it's my nature. And they both drown. I'm guessing this is what Tom's making a reference to. Now, in reality, it's more like a scorpion riding a scorpion. In, you know, different sizes, shapes, mm-hmm. and ways, nope. but no. Nope. 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 That, that's, that was you, that was you letting us know that you knew that story. That, 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 that you just made that up. Like he, no. he no, didn't, no, 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 no. he gave no indication that that was the story other than giving her a scorpion. I, I, if that, that, and he was given inter- ample opportunity too. She said, explain it. And he just goes, I, I don't know, that scorpion. That felt like they were referencing. It felt like they made no effort to explain it to the audience, but th- that, that seemed like what the reference they were going for here was. I don't know. Well, whatever it is, she doesn't like it. And finally, she she tries to, like, salvage it. She's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, oh, this is like when you give Spencer a gift. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, I guess yeah. I I guess uh, I do need more shit in my house. Thanks for giving me this. Yeah. Awesome. I, I, other than me. We've all seen this in the real world in terms of someone processing a gift they clearly don't want. Oh, shit. I've done it so many times. Uh, yeah, absolutely. She, But at least I'll give her this. At least she's trying to, like, not in on a bad note. She goes, okay, I like it. Whatever. And she tells him to get to work. Sort well, of flirty. If we were to assume that my interpretation is correct, what, how do you feel about Tom's present? I think I think it ends up – well, you know what? You – I don't know if you're right or not. But if you are right, then in the fight later when she's like – what the fuck with the scorpion? You know, like, I guess that makes a little bit more sense. Cause if it, if that's what he was going for, I think it's a tad on the nose. Like it's, it's a bit, a bit dark. I mean, he even says, you know, what am I? Am I the scorpion? He's like, Oh yeah. It's like, wh- whether he's going for that story or not, he's calling her a scorpion. 
That's an interesting gesture at this stage of their rebuilding it's fucking, relationship. It's fucking strange is what it is. Yeah, I, it, I don't know it, if I like it. it. It's the real Tom opinion forcing its way through the crap cover. Well, Tom is going to go to work and contribute to the great toxification of America. So He's skilled in that regard. Cut. Each of us have our talents. Cut to Kendall, and he greets Rava. Rava, is, it, is that Rava's music, ladies and gentlemen? Ba- I, I, back from the dead. How long has it been? Did we see her in season three? I don't think we, I think it's been about over a, I think it's been over a season. Yeah, it's been a long time since we got Rava. I, uh, I've been very hard on Rava in the past. Um, I'll be curious if your opinion changes based on this conversation. But I've always thought that Kendall needed to end up with her. Like, I I feel like if she can. I don't think that's happening now. Well, you you don't ever know. I mean, you never know this show. Keep you on a swivel. Uh, but I, I've always thought she was good for him if she could not be overly cruel. Cause there are moments where she's pretty cruel. Now, of course, Kendall sucks. Like, yes, Kendall sucks. But I, I don't know. I've always thought that they could end up well together. But yeah, this doesn't go very well. She asks him if he's okay. He just dismisses that and he goes, this, this, this whole thing, like, and I guess he means like meeting you here is fine. But if it's about legal stuff, then, you know, I can't <laughs> deal with that today. If, if you were, so, if you were serving me something related to our ex-marriage or children, uh, no, not right now. Is it this, this does sound like Logan, doesn't it? Where he just walks up and goes, yeah, it's, this, this is fine. But if it's, if it's legal, I can't, I can't deal with that. Everything he says in this conversation sounds Logan, particularly it, the end. It really does. It's and, on point here that Kendall is assuming the mantle of his father. I think even subconsciously. Rava explains that Sophie does not want to go to school. She's freaked out by the election. Rava ex- tries to explain. Sophie was walking on the street and felt pushed. I'm so confused by Gen X rhetoric. Felt pushed. You're either pushed or you're not pushed. Was the girl physically pushed or not? I couldn't tell from Rava's explanation. You mean Gen Z rhetoric? Uh, Gen, what did I say? The new, you said X, the, the new generation. What would be X? Would that be like the... A- X like, would be like the pe- pe- people that were adult in the like late 80s kind of thing. Oh, like the Nirvana people. No, I like them. That's a good generation. Gen Z. Uh, yeah. They, okay. They, they, I don't understand what this means. Felt pushed. Do you, did you, uh, could you my, figure, could you piece together from what Rival was saying, what really occurred here? My interpretation, and what's, a key detail to keep in mind here. Um, there's a frog and a scorpion and a. Uh, there's a different story. We already <laughs> talked about that one. They can't repeat their stories here. Come on. Uh, but it's a key, key point to remember that his daughter is adopted and she is, I don't remember exactly ethnicity, but she's not she's not white. So that's a key part of what's what's occurring here. She walking down the street. I, I interpreted as she got kind of like shoulder bumped, like New York street style, and then turned around and saw that the guy that did it was wearing a Ravenhead shirt. And the guy said something racist to her. Yes, and it was a Ravenhead shirt. So Which it's is, not it's not a Minkin shirt, right? So it's not like in this in this because they're the they're, host of ATN. They're clearly they're clearly. Drawing a line to this election, the 2016 election about broke America, and Trump would be Minken in this opera. In this, Ravenhead is like Tucker Carlson. Yes, very much so. So he's the he's not the politician; he's the talking head. Which is part of the reason I think that Rob is coming to Kendall because Because Kendall runs the organization that Ravenhead works. Ravenhead works for him. Yeah, she felt it was racially tense. She's been upset. Kendall wants to know what he said. Rob says she doesn't know, and I'm not really. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's interested about what 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 was said. I'm not sure how that matter, that matters that much. Well, Rava then talks about how at school the kids have started an anti ATN thing, and this is a funny line from Rava, which is actually very supportive. Oh, <laughs> but it's complex for her. 
I, I, it was one of the things too. I'm, I wasn't even sure from what, how Ravel was describing it, that the guy actually even said anything, or it was just the fact that his shirt had a nasty, like, racist quote on it or something. But one of the two, it clearly made his daughter uncomfortable. And there's a complex situation of her being his daughter, but being closer with the anti-ATN group. See what I'm talking about with the Gen Zers? You can't, you can't get heads or tails from their stories. They, well, it's also <laughs> alienating one third of our audience. Why not? It's Go also ahead. Vague. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm just bleeding audience. That's fine. Oh, Kendall, yeah. All Kendall the ask Rava, why was she out on the street and who was with her, which sets off Rava. Now we have seen in the past, you don't want to set off Rava because she's got another gear that you wouldn't normally expect, right? Like, when she pre- she presents really fucking sane to me. Like when she comes around, she sounds normal. But when she mm-hmm. gets mad, she'll go to a fucking twelve. And there's not much of a transition for it too. The moment that she felt like, particularly with anything questioning her parenting, that the moment she felt like he was questioning her in terms of like allowing his daughter to be in that situation, it's like a dial flips from fine to not fine immediately. Yeah, she she screams. Are you fucking? I shouldn't say screams, but she does get louder. Are you fucking serious? And he said he's not blaming. I'm not blaming you. I'm just trying to get all the information. But it does kind of sound like he's blaming her. Kendall says, "Where were you?" Rava says, "I was raising our daughter while you were fucking running a racist news organization." Woo! We're cutting through it. <clears throat> there was an effort at you know doing you know a euphemistic presentation to start, and now she's done. Kendall just says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Kendall, great. Fuck you. Come on. Rava, how dare you interrogate me in the way I parent? Kendall says, yeah, obviously feels bad. He said he would do anything to protect her. Anything! I'll do it! Yeah, it does sound like Logan. Rava says she does, and we'll co- this is where she just sort of backs off and gets space. She goes, we'll, we'll cope. We'll cope. I don't know. Maybe just call your fucking daughter. That's basically all, all she really wanted here was that, you know, could you talk to your daughter for a little bit? You know, can you be a dad to her? Because even when he's starting to jump in with the information, she's just like, why do you need all that to talk to your daughter? But Kendall's... Confronting this situation differently than Rava was asking for. Kendall says, you have no idea the types of things I'm doing, the things I'm working on. Six continents, I'm breaking my back and it's all for them. And I'm sorry, but the lie detector detected that was a lie. Everything I do, I do for my children. It's a fucking Logan quote. The guy's going through Logan's best lines. And it's a lie for both of them. Yes. He hasn't thought... We have not seen him interact with his kids in like a season and a half because he hasn't thought about his kids in a season and a half, basically as we can tell. Damn. And I'll say this. He does draw, he, as much as he lies there, he's able to still up the ante of the amount that he's lying and he just doubles down and goes to make the world safe. What? What? And the, the interesting thing is I think he does still believe these things. I thought Logan probably believed these things at least a little bit. It's just, they're not what's important to him. Obviously, they're what's really important. But he has to gra- ex- he has to explain that in his own head between what he's doing, spending all his time doing and focusing on and caring most about versus what's really the most important. And those two don't perfectly square even as he tries to explain it. That, only three more. Only mm-hmm. three more. We got the oh, intro music. You, you hurt me, sir. Don't remind me. No change to the intro. It's just America decides on the Chiron. So there's still pre-election. Cut to Roman, who's on the phone, and he's saying he loves whatever the person is talking about. That he says he does like the deal, but they have to do their due diligence. You know, be careful. Oh, and get that extra dirt on Mets. And apparently insignificant details can be very useful to me. Roman arrives somewhere, and he walks in telling someone, you're a deputy rat fucker. Don't object to being a deputy rat fucker. Tomas. You, you want to know something that's really petty that I'll write about if they don't do it next episode? Fire away. If the ticker doesn't change to either during election or post election next episode and for the, the re- remainder of the season. 
if that little ticker at the end of that at the end of that tra- at the end of the intro and that in terms of that you know ATN screen that we see in Times Square or whatever else doesn't change to reflect that the election has occurred I'm going to I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be pissed if Mingan doesn't win. Because I, I want to see because I want to see in this world all of the characters deal with the the, what, in essence, what has had to happen sometimes in American politics, which is where a particular news organization pushes a candidate, that candidate fucks around and wins and sca- it scares everybody and they don't know what to do. Like, I, I would love to see, like, I don't know, like Kendall, particularly Shiv, deal with this idea, oh gosh, Minkin, because they've, they've established Minkin as someone who kind of came out of nowhere that they don't have a lot of faith in. I think Roman referred to him as IP at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, how do they deal with Oh gosh, we may have contributed to electing this guy. I'd like to see that. So I want Minkin to win. It'll be curious because at this point, Minkin thinks that they're going to lose. Minkin's campaign is pretty convinced they're going to lose. They're doing desperate gambles to try to get some last second support. Yeah. And that's why it would be just better writing. I think that Minkin ran. Cut to Shiv, Connor and Roman around the table. Connor is telling them that he just went to see Logan. Logan's still not buried, folks. How, how long has this been? Uh, well, each what episode's a day. Uh, no, it's. I think I don't think they're consecutive though. Well, yeah, that's true. Each episode is a day. The time between episodes varies. So I think he's maybe been above ground for what week and a half, something like that. Something like that. He's getting. You know, there better be some sufficient embalming fluid here, otherwise he's getting ripe. Ugh, I'm sure he's been embalmed. <laughs> Not everybody does it. Pretty. I, sure. I'm betting he does. I think that there's like a rule that funeral homes won't hold you for more than 24 hours unless you're embalmed. <laughs> Particularly, particularly open casket too. Particularly a public figure like this, you you wouldn't want Tywin Lannister stinking up the Red Keep. I mean, that that's, that would be a bad at, look. At that point, you're starting to run into you know like old European kings that were they exploded in their coffins. Nobody wants that. Mm. Apparently, Logan's looking good. He woke up on the right side of the coffin today. I gotta say, Connor has a strong episode. This was a good line. Connor, I mean, even when Connor's doing weird horse trading that says horrible things for the Republic, he's still looking pretty strong. Whole episode. Roman sneers at that. Connor says, hey, you should go see him. Roman says, yeah, I do what? Sit there like I'm feeding the ducks. Connor says, the weird thing is how much he's not there. I find that consoling. Did you understand that line? I loved that line. Tell me about it. That That is a line of somebody that is more so than any of his siblings processing what his relationship with his dad was actually like. He enjoys the concept of his dad being present without the actual dad being there. He finds it actually reassuring with how damaging and toxic his dad was in his life that the emblem of him is present for him to deal with at whatever manner he wish without it being interactive. Well said. Shout out. Podcast professional. That was good. Kendall walks in. Shiv says, the man who's going to lead us to eternal life, Waystar Jesus, making fun of <laughs> Your boy. The number one boy is arrived. Can I please get Waystar Jesus on a t-shirt? Gosh, uh, no. J- I would get you a Jamie Tart jersey and a Waystart Jesus Jamie shirt. <laughs> she then beams about the polling. Very ex- – this is <laughs> – I love this from Roman. Very exciting. I'm sure your red guards are ready to round up the thought criminals and turn police stations into cuddle buddies. Cuddle puddles. He works He works the rhyme. <laughs> Connor then says top line is I'm exploding Alaska. Four, five, six percent. Kendall then – Tells them he's busy and just wants to jump right into it. Can we just get, could we just do this? And uh, Connor hereby convenes this funeral management committee meeting. Now, I'm betting Minkin's not too worried about Connor being 6% in Alaska. Alaska, he's probably got a comfortable margin. Few other states, Are though, you Connor- sure about that? Alaska has one congressional seat and it's a Democrat. Yes, but presidential, doesn't it usually go like 13, 14% Republican? Last election, I think it was like five or six, man. It's it's getting closer uh, in Alaska. Th- this is true. Alaska is, I, w- I wouldn't say going blue or even going purple, but it's been interestingly competitive. 
They elected a Democrat statewide. I think that it would be an okay storyline to Help, say. Helped by the way it was a three, it was a three, a three way race with a different election style. As someone who like obsesses about polling way more than I should that is healthy, I think that an idea that Connor got to six or seven percent in Alaska and that made Alaska competitive is a very realistic storyline for a poll in 2023. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to look for what, what it was in 2016. Cause that's what, if, if you're right, that's what they're basing it off of. Be oh, oh, 2016. I mean, they, they won, he, Trump won about 30 points or something. Connor then says he's concerned. They are saying he's saying yes to all of Marsh's wishes and all your ideas, pops requirements, danger. Four- the funeral could turn into a day, three day grief this is interesting. 14 and change, but Gary Johnson, the libertarian, had 6%. Look at that. That's that's curious. 14 and change. And I it, it, it's been the, – the margin keeps kind of getting tighter. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe – maybe but then again, Alaska has like three electoral votes, so I don't even know why this matters. It, it's not huge. It's yeah. just con- Connor pride in action. Unless they do the thing that like your favorite show ever – especially in the later seasons, the West Wing did, where it like all came down to Nevada or something strange. Spoiler alert! The election map at the end of that last season of West Wing, which I'll agree was a good season, was utterly ridiculous. It's a random Mad Libs election map. Yeah, how can we back into one dramatic scene? Oh, here's how we do it. Uh, Shiv says, just fuck Marsha. Kendall seconded Roman carried. So that goes sales through committee, 3-0, fuck Marsha. I don't know what it means, though, exactly, but we'll find out. It means that Connor is saying... They're taking control. Well, no, I think Connor is saying that there's all these requests for things like songs, you know, poems, etc. Like, what are we going to prioritize? What are we not? I think he's going to ditch all of Marsha's requests. Oh, so they're cutting the three-day, you know... What would it, will otherwise be three days down to 90 minutes by cutting everything Marshall wants. That's what I think they're saying, yeah. Gotcha. Connor then says they want a tight 90, and he's wondering who's going to speak. Shift questions... Why would anyone want to speak in front of the most powerful people in the world? Kendall says, I'm easy. I could talk about that. Roman, oh, what? You're usually malign influence material. <laughs> Kendall gives him a fake. Oh, you hurt me. <laughs> well, that, that was interesting, too, because that seemed to be hinting at, you know, the smear campaign that they were running on their dad to a certain degree, which. Yes. He, he never told Roman that he was doing that. And Shiv was completely out of the loop on that even being a possibility. But they're talking about it. Because everyone, yeah. it was, it, it was, Roman knew what he was everyone doing. understood immediately that it was Kendall doing this. Yeah. Kendall's looking like, how about that? But doesn't say anything. Connor says, ooh, I could do it. Roman says, uh huh. <laughs> Shiv. He did, he did great at Moe's funeral. Come on. That was a hell of a speech back then. Shiv then says, if anyone actually wants to, I like, it's, it's just, it's frustrating. Look. I know what they think of Connor. We all know what they think of Connor. But how they talk to him this episode is really hard. Like he says, I could do it. And Roman and then Shiv just goes, well, if anybody actually wants to do it, they should say so. He just said. Right, right, right here. <laughs> he just said the words, Shiv. You clearly just ignored him. Uh, she says, probably no one minds. Okay, Connor sells them. He's going to have a think. He's jumping on the digital battle bus. He's about to. And then he asks about the tailgate party and then leaves. So. What we learn early on in this episode is the family has a tradition of a day before the election party. That's what the tailgate party is. Where they invite 40 or 50 of the most influential, powerful political people on both sides of the spectrum to all cluster in one room, do a kettle corn bet on the subject of who's going to win the election or, you know, electoral votes or whatever else, and just chat on the state of the uh, state of democracy. I would love to be at that damn party. I question the day before an election, if they can really get the most influential people in one room like that. Because 
at that point, they, they'd be busy. Yeah. At that point, some of the most influential political people will be working for either of the campaigns. And about just basically every damn campaign we have is a toss up. Like, they're they're not going to just cluster in Manhattan, upper, the upper east side of Manhattan for two or three hours. I I find that a bit unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Kendall then says one thing from us on the tailgate, talking to Shiv. He asks about politically inviting Nate. Y'all remember Nate, don't you? Shiv's it's Nate. It's been a while since Nate. Uh, Shiv's Nate. Uh, for those that don't remember, uh, Nate was the uh, par- how did, how did Tom express this? Oh yes, the odd side dick. Hmm. It was gobbled. Tom and I kind of hoped that. Why? She, what she, I think what she's saying is Tom and I kind of hoped we'd never see this fucking guy again. And then she goes, why? Roman says, because it went so well in L.A. Give credit to the great showman talking to Kendall. Apologies for the wibble wobble. Roman talking about himself and then says, all due congratulations. But she sees through this says, look, you guys want a plan B if they can't chase Matson away on the price. As covered in the podcast yeah. last episode, their primary goal right now is to juice the value on paper of Waystar beyond a point that Matson's able to pay, which is apparently one ninety two. Is that right? Yes, and they're worried that they may not be able to either sustain that or keep that, or not, they're not comfortable putting all their eggs in one basket with respect to that. So Nate, who they never explicitly say, but we get from other conversations, is working in a close advisor to the Democratic presidential candidate Jimenez. Thank you. Uh, they're figuring that they can establish a connection with him and broach the idea of doing regulatory investigations to, you know, interfere with the deal. If Jimenez gets to the spot, they can have a fallback plan. It's a good idea to get that arranged and, you know, see, see if they can work that up so they can be reassured they have a possible fallback position. So he works for Gill, but he's supporting and advising Jimenez. This is very 2016. Gill. Yes. Gill is Bernie Sanders. Um, Bernie Sanders head guy, um, blanking on this guy's name, but he's, he's very, very, very popular. He did advise the Clinton campaign a little bit. And it, that's mm-hmm. pretty common for like whoever comes in second, third in the primary, some of those people to roll over and either in a formal or informal role advise the eventual nominee. Party loyalty. Yeah. I mean, this happened in mass in 2020. I mean, like pretty much every Democrat who ever existed started working for Joe Biden at one point. So I mean, it, it, this, this really does happen. It's pretty realistic. Was this Faiz Shakir? Was that who you're meaning? Or was it a, a different Bernie Sanders advisor? Different guy, yeah. His, ca- okay. his original campaign manager in 2016. Um, so he says all kinds of acronyms. DOJ, FTC, FCC, EU. All right, so Department of Justice. <laughs> Department of Justice. Federal Trade Commission. Yep. FCC, is that a federal... It's federal Communications. communications? It's Federal Communications Commission, yeah. Yeah, those are the and people, like, those are the people who find Howard Stern in the 90s, FCC. Th- that is very much FCC. And e- then the EU. EU. He's just joking about. Yeah, that's it, a laugh. It, you gotta it, laugh at that. Well, you know, if a Democrat wins, that's playing into Republican concerns. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the 53rd state. Um, Kendall says they may just stop it, but even that threat creates a lot more risk for Madsen and kicks the deal down the line. And Nate, He's across competition. He's across competition. And yes. he's right. He's tight with the Jimenez folks. Um, Kendall says he wants to just talk to him without all the lobbyists and Shiv finishes his sentence without all the due process. <laughs> yes. Funny. I would prefer the American public is not aware of what's going on. Shiv doesn't like this, but doesn't say they can't do it. Off goes Kendall and Roman. Shiv sits there, looks around and sighs. 
what she doesn't like this because we see this episode, Shiv has just gone, Shiv's, we previously said like Shiv's gonna play both sides, you know, the, you know, and see which one benefits her the most in any given moment. This episode she's making clear, no, 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 she's just gone full 100% team Matson. And she's worried that this actually could work on their part and she needs to think of something to head it off early. The Shiv people are probably thinking they're still like, that this isn't a big massive collapse for Shiv, but I think I do think that's where they're going with the writing. Shiv thinks this has been a massive collapse this episode. Yeah. Roman and Kendall are talking as they walk out of this dining room and says, What do you think about the blowback from the firings? The bloodlust. You want to throw Hugo at that? Kendall says they should own it. And they walk out of the restaurant. Shiv uh, picks up the phone. He, he he means Joy and Jerry, <laughs> right? No. Uh-uh. Or does he mean George Jared? Do you mean the firings later? He means the firings later that they're doing okay. because what? So we could talk about it more later, but I'm I, I'm going to explain it now since we referenced it. What is happening? Correct me if I'm wrong, Professor. It's something that has happened in real life is they are firing a lot of full time employees, almost their entire international division, to replace them with contractors that they can pay less, pay no benefits, work less hours, in order to cut cost. To juice the stock price, right? That they didn't explicitly say that, but that is a, that is probably an accurate interpretation of what they're doing minute to minute. Yes, that's what they're doing because like this this happens a lot in with these publicly traded companies. They'll do massive rounds of layoffs. They'll do things like I don't know, collapse two divisions together, get out of a line of business that's not producing revenue or is in the red, or do like this and use a bunch of contractor employees. Shout out WWE, and mm. from there uh, cut cost. Juice the stock price, get people, investors more excited about the stock. I think that's what's going on here. Shiv picks up the I, phone. I think that's probably an accurate read. I was, I was thinking that they were just making a reference to things that have very much happened in terms of media companies trying to save costs generally, just in a you know difficult economic situation by cutting their entire international division. This has happened recently. Uh, it also could be playing into what Roman that what Logan was complaining about about how ATN's just getting too bloated and is losing is not, not not maintaining the same profit margin that they used to. But I, I like your read of tying that into explicitly what Logan and Roman are uh, Kendall and Roman are trying to do. <laughs> Look what you Freudian, did! Freudian Look what you did! Ah, Kendall Shift picks up the phone. She's clearly made the call, and it's to Lucas. She's telling him that her brothers are going regulatory. She tells him he needs to be at the party. There's going to be what forty thought leaders polls. Officials who will actually decide this. And I think, by the way, folks, before you get your tinfoil hats on, I don't think she means who will actually decide this meeting in the election. I think she means who will decide if this deal goes through. Yes, I think she's talking to the people that could be very influential to have in our camp with respect to making this deal happen. Oh, boy. Uh, QAnon was just our our one percent QAnon base. Our our Connor our Connor percentage of QAnon listeners were ready to go nuts at that line. Who will actually decide this? I, I will bet that there are a significant portion of people there that have been very influential for the election, but not so much that they that they get to pull a lever that's worth a million American votes. I don't think so. Uh, and. Because we have this awesome little thing called democracy, as Connor points out. Oh, yes, indeed. And half of them are going to be there. Okay. She then says he needs to be there too to counter. She hangs up. Man, he, she is in deep with Madsen. She seems like he, he also seems like he's fighting her on this too. Like he does not want to do no, this. No, he doesn't want to go to this fucking thing. Of course he doesn't. It, 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 he's probably having to come over from Europe to do it. I think he is very much flying in for this. If he wasn't him, I would say that it would be useful to have somebody on from his team marketing them here. This is an influential bunch. Here's the thing. 
if I was Madsen and I knew that my India numbers were this screwed up and that I was basically just trying to do this deal so that I can squash it all together and make spit out something so that nobody knows that I was basically lying about my company pre-sale. You'd be one under, you'd want to be under the radar. I would never speak to them. I wouldn't, I would, first off, all my people would be gone. I'd control every bit of communication and it would be as limited as humanly possible. I'd be the falter guy. Yeah. Hi, burying it away. Not God. discussing it, just focusing on making the deal happen. God, what a nuts. Uh, um, this, this, is the, this is the problem of not giving the full set of information to your advisors. Shiv don't know any of this and so she can't advise him with that particular perspective. Text detective time. I am the text detective. I've got the text. You, you've got their little sex back and forth? Yeah. So here are the previous texts. Um, this is neither not the ones being sent now. These are the ones that have been sent earlier. Tom, haha, yeah, but beautiful to look at. Like you, exclamation point. Shiv, yeah, thank you. And thank you for yesterday's marathon sex session. I think I came like 30 times. Good for y'all. Tom, yeah, it was a lot. It was like the orgasm Olympics. Harder, faster, sore. I gotta say this. I'm getting the impression she might want it a little bit more than he wants it right now. Interesting. He complains about being tired this whole time. Here he goes, yeah, it was a lot. This is what he, his, his wife says, you made me come 30 times. And he goes, yeah, it was a lot. Like, I don't think he's like, is into the marathon. <laughs> it's not no, it's not. And he says harder, faster, sore, which is a joke, but he's also saying, Hey, this kind of sucked for me. I don't mm. think he's as into this as she is. And I think there's a little resentment during the day with the constant saying, I'm tired. I think there's more to it than that. When he keeps saying, I'm tired, I think Shiv is taking it as, you don't want as much sex as I do. What's wrong with you? And he's saying, could you fucking just settle down for five what? seconds? Like, good Lord, we have to sleep. Well, it's interesting, too. At no point in this episode does Shiv think that Tom has actually works or has any actual job or responsibilities come to, you know, the election tomorrow. Because he's his comment throughout the whole time is, I'm stressed. I got a lot of work to do. It's a lot to manage tomorrow. And her response consistently is to mock him for even that thought. Now and, she, and diminish him when it, whenever she talks about talks with him about talks about him to other people. Yeah. Now Shiv is texting. This is in the moment. Sorry, I broke your. And then when I can't see the rest of it, she smiles to herself. Cut to Tom and Greg walking into a room that has an ATN monitor in the back. We see from Tom's phone. It says, "Sorry, I broke your dick last night." And he says, "Nope, still rock hard." So there you go, sexting with Tom and Shiv. And he's doing this. Right before he fires like a hundred plus people. He doesn't do a damn thing. Right he before sits, he options off firing a hundred plus people. He sits down and says, there's no easy way to do this. Heck, I've done this a few times this week, he says. So I'm telling you, I think they're doing massive layoffs throughout the company trying to peak investor interest. They're, they're going to release a million press statements about all the layoffs they're doing. Okay. They've let says, their Tucker Carlson go. He says, honestly, it just makes me cry. And then he gets up and leaves. And he guess who sits down? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You've heard the music. It's Gregory Hirsch's music who has more information. How would you react if Greg is the one that fires you? Years with the company and Greg is the one that your boss brings in for the sake of firing you by Zoom call that you can't talk during. This, I mean, this is a reference to like Better Mortgage, the famous like mass Zoom firing recently. But, you know, other companies have done this. Oh, um, I probably would give up. I mean, I think that like when you are already at the place where you're being fired, like there's nothing to be done in that moment. 
Like mm-hmm. you, you need to just get that process over with as fast as possible and get out of the building. If you want to fight it later, fight it later. But when you, when you're actually at the table and you're being fired, there's nothing to do. Like you just, it doesn't matter. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do shit basically it's, mm-hmm. other than try to get the hell out of there fast. Yeah. It's like, I think my inclination honestly would be, there's no point in me even staying on the zoom call. It's like, you're firing me. I don't need to hang out as you warble through the last few words of this. So he sits down and he has this prepared statement, very lawyered notice. Spencer would love how this is being fired. I mean, he loves this fire. Oh, this, is, this is perfect for him. I, I, I would have pra- had him practice a couple more times before he delivered it, but it's delightful legalese. Yeah, he gives a very lawyered notice, says range of options to drastically reduce costs and the very difficult decision to restructure the ATN operation internally has been taken to protect the future of the business. This action was only taken after blah, 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 blah. So he fires him. It's it's notable too that we talked about when uh, Kendall went in and gutted Walter and fired all the employees that you talked about. You you highlighted the fact that they were getting a severance package, you know, like a several yeah. months based on years of employment. These are ATN employees. These have been loyal employees of this company and division for you know however many years from their individual case. There is no discussion of any element of you know of some element of severance of some elements of continuing health benefits or any of that. Maybe that's a separate conversation, but they're just treating it as, as and now you're gone. Click. Yeah, I, I think that Kendall had to talk about the severance in the Valter deal because the ownership of Valter had just changed. And therefore, there was probably confusion about what the policy would be and like what would prevail here. It would be whatever Waystar standard policy on severance is, which I'm sure they have a policy. Re- refer, like, to I'm your, sure. refer to your HR employee handbook. Yeah, it's probably a week of pay every two years of service, something, something like that. That's what they do. Maybe. Um, Tom does a fake cry off camera to Greg as he's doing it, which actually distracts Greg for a minute. <laughs> Tom, I mean, let, let it never, never forget. T- Tom, we'll discuss him and Shiv this episode. Guy's a remarkable asshole. He really is. Greg explains they'll be using third party contract employees going forward. He sees some confusion in the chat, which I'm not shocked about. I had, I had kind of hoped for a minute. I know it's hack. I kind of hoped for a minute he'd been on mute. So you had to re-deliver it? Yeah, and they didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> that would be kind of funny. Um, so he says, obviously, I can't take questions on this call. Obviously, you can't take questions ever, Greg. Ever. No, no questions. No questions. I'm here to deliver exactly what I was ordered to do. And again, this is what Greg's good at. Just give him very clear instructions without any degree of wiggle room or interacting in an uncontrolled environment, and he can make it work. He says, but this is a very sad day. I believe you, Greg. Spencer, do you like Greg's firing more than Romans? Ooh. Ooh. Well, I wanted to fire Joy in the moment form Roman did it. I don't know any of these people enough, and I also get a weep to a certain degree about a massive series of news employees in an international division being cut in one fell stroke. One fell swoop. Yeah, but just like the the process of it, you got to like it more, right? Lawyerly. Uh, again, I think he could have presented it a little bit better, and I think it would have been better to at least reference, you know, you know, talking to HR with further details about what their packages would be or whatever else. It comes across as kind of heartless, not helped by the fact that, you know, Tom is egging on the heartless aspect of things right behind the scenes. So I would say it's better than uh, Roman firing Jerry, not as not, not as enjoyable as Roman firing uh, Joy. Oh, these are international employees. And so you're a lot of times local law would prevail as to what you have to pay them. So like 
it, it might not even be their option that because some countries have mandatory severance requirements for employers true. that fire you unless the employer goes bankrupt. So it, it might just be super complicated based on local law. That might be why they didn't go into it. But cut to the night of night of the party. Tom is telling an assistant or caterer or something to push one of his wines. This is such a great callback to that whole plot <laughs> line about the crappy line wines, the crappy wines that he had to, he had bought. Call it German. Say it's you know. And he, there's even a great con, a callback to some of the lines he said. He said, um, "Say it's light, fruity red. Don't say it's biodynamic. Remember that line? He would yeah. say biodynamic, and he says, don't say it's German. He says a little bit of fizz is normal. It's sophisticated. Now, longtime listeners of the podcast know I no longer uh, drink alcohol. I'm not an alcohol drinker. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, no, any of this, Spencer." Tell the people, fizz in the wine, is that normal? Is it sophisticated? What's Spencer's take here? I, I, I would normally be a bit put off by fizzy wine, unless you, unless it is champagne or something along those wines. You know, actual wine, I don't want that to be fizzy. It's not sophisticated? Not sophisticated. Don't feel it is. Feel like he's just, I mean, as we hear Frank say later, I think he's just trying to mask a truly shit wine. So saith Spencer. Uh, what did you note? What the food they're preparing is, by the way. Oh no, tell me. It it is so rich people thing of where it's burgers and fries, but done in absolutely minuscule, tiny little portions on big plates. Yeah, it sounds right. It is the classic because Logan because Logan liked burgers and fries. I bet that's why he, I bet Logan always served burgers and fries. It was his party. Yes, but done in the most rich people style of where how do you make it more highfalutin? Make it tinier. She runs into Tom, and Tom tells her that he is tired. Election Eve. It's a lot, turns out. I'm pre-tired. Spencer, you ever been pre-tired? Probably not, right? I, I exist in a constant state of tired, so I'll, I'll say that's a version of pre-tired. Hmm. He then I, points out that... Also, again, Tom is basically all, you know, one of the runners of ATN. Guy's got a busy day tomorrow. Yeah, he then points out that he didn't get a lot of sleep the night before. hey Shiv then tells him that Madsen is attending because Dumb and Dumber are trying to spook the deal and trying to do regulatory shit. Angle and he's going to come and head that off. So did Tom know this before? Yeah, she must have. She must have told him, right? She she must have told him. Yes. Between between time twenty one and twenty two, she might have thrown that in. I don't know how you do pillow talk, sir, but Dave, you know that's in my category. Tom then says specifically that this is good for him because he has a chance to dance and secure his spot post Roy Apocalypse. It is tough, right? Because like. You would think that if she, I'm not saying she doesn't care about him, but she does care about him, but you would think somebody who cares about their husband in this situation would be sensitive to the fact that he's trying to save his job, right? But she seems to just dismiss this like it just doesn't mean anything. To the degree that she cares, he's not a priority. And that's a key, it's a, I think that's a key aspect of interpreting Shiv, that there are many things that she cares about. The right. priority the le- fucking email to Spencer. Don't say to Lee. Don't say to Mangum Talks. Well, to Lee is endorsing Spencer. everything I've said. We've talked about this off pod. I I'm actually hear just about quoting how, his what words. an asshole Spencer is and how much he hates Shiv because he I, said that. I think she likes him. I or not. I think she loves him. I just think that she she's openly so, denies it this episode. I well, come on. That I think she's so fucked that like she doesn't even know that this is a thing that she should care about. Like, I, I don't even, I think if you set her down on a lie detector test, she'd be confused as to why Tom well, would be so upset. It, it also doesn't help that Shiv's only, the only person we've ever had Shiv say that she loved was her dad. That's her idea of a loving relationship. And if we accept that lens, she doesn't see value in love. Matter of fact, she's kind of afraid of people that, you know, 
claim to love and care for. She doubts that because she that's her Tom, point though. of comparison. She loves Tom. It's a, key, it's a key thing I was reminded of as I was going through prior events. This is something I'm surprised that I don't think she's ever brought up. One does need to remember that Shiv willingly shot herself in the foot with her dad by making her dad, by begging her dad, you can throw anybody on this cruises thing, but not Tom. Protect Tom. Shiv has secretly gone to the mat for Tom, but she's never told him that. And that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I think, I do think there's something to, like any Roy, when she's feeling herself, there's some blind spots, right? We've talked about that before. When she feels like she's in a hot, on a hot streak, she's getting some W's. She starts to have some blind spots. And I think one of them is Tom, right? You've talked about how um, she really likes Tom when she's really high or really low. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that, 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 that love can come out as sort of like borderline temporary infatuation sometimes. I think she, I think she, she strikes me as someone who really likes dating, but doesn't like cuffing season, if you know what well, I mean. She's afraid about commitment because her perspective on commitment is her dad's relationship with her mom and other, you know, significant others. It doesn't give her the best lens. Yeah. She drops the bomb that Nate's coming. Tom isn't loving that. She says, cause he's key on tech and trade for Gil and Jimenez. I'm sorry. It's not, I'm, I am genuinely sorry. Tom says, sure. Nate, it'll be good to see Nate. What do I care? And the lie detector determined that that was also a lie from Tom. He does not want to see Nate. Uh, Tom does not want to see Nate. Among the things that Tom was looking forward to tonight, you know, besides the night ending early and maybe not throwing a party, Nate, I don't think makes it on the list of things that were, you know, positive to him. I just don't know why. So Nate slept with his wife, right? Yes, he did. And Nate was also an ex-boyfriend of her, of, of Shiv, Shiv's too? Correcto. Okay. I just don't know why he has to like pretend like they've just been dropped in a UFC fucking fighting rink every time he, Nate walks in the room. Like you don't have to like perk up and like say a bunch of lines and posture. Tom, just fucking chill. Like go away. I like, you don't have to do, you're just making yourself miserable. Yes, but Tom has like, you know, the confidence of a sponge. The only, only times Tom feels in any degree is confident is when he's being vaguely challenged, not even vaguely, just directly challenging and hostile to someone else. He doesn't know how to carry himself other than do that. So the idea of just, you know, not saying anything, he would feel that would be weak. We see a bunch of people arriving, more succession music. We see people checking their phones about polls. Um, this is something that like in the week before the election, like everybody's just like you refreshing five thirty eight real clear politics. Yeah, I, I do a lot of hey, that. They true. brought Nate to the party. I might say that like I've I don't think in the weeks up to the election, while I don't you while you don't advertise that you're a poll checker, I'm not sure I've ever told you about a poll you didn't already know about. I will say that. Shut up. <laughs> you, you, you know nothing. I'm not constantly monitoring these things. I'm dedicating my phone just to make, make sure every bit of data is passing my eyes. That's just you. Why would you do that? There's a guess the scoreboard. I like that. I like that. I like the, the, the sin, the kettle corn. I think yeah, that is charming. I think that's charming. That, that feels like an old Logan tradition. Like, you know, he, he did that back in 1970. He just kept it going. Then from Kendall, it's not all crypto fascists and right wing nut jobs. We also have some VC dims and centrist ghouls. Dad's ideological range was wide. <laughs> Whew, what a line, succession oh. line of the episode. Is that succession line of the episode? It, it is definitely one of the, like, if you want a summary of succession philosophy, that one hits close. Yeah. He says, should we hit it? They go walking around, then Roman gets on the phone and goes outside. Cut to Tom and Greg talking. Greg, with a completely reasonable suggestion, says that Tom should try a coffee. Spencer, why can't Tom drink a coffee? Because if he does, he won't be able to sleep later. Think, Lee. 
Oh, I see. I would totally have a coffee. I then would have, Tom, I'd be downing coffee nonstop. Yeah. Then Tom explains to Greg that Matson is coming. That will be his focus, and he may want to sweeten the beat too. Greg says he wants to feather that bed, but Matson hates him. So he thinks he's Tim, Team Kin, Kinro. As am I, Greg. Team Kinro. Kinro. Woo! Team Kinro. Are you Team uh, Kinro, Spencer? Uh, I'm not. I don't know what team I'm on. I kind of, I'm kind of just happily sitting on my own boat watching them all burn. Yeah, because you were Team Logan and your guy died. He did. You know, I'm now watching from the afterlife as all of, as all of them disappoint me. Tom says up to you and they go uh, mingling. I really, I really love how honest these two are with each other. I, I like that they're just having an honest conversation about how they're each trying to survive. It's reflective of the fact that as much as Tom is still, as much as Greg is still like just an assistant, this conversation is a peer talking with a peer about what their, what their prospects are. Like, uh, Tom's not offended that Greg has his own plan, but I think he encourages him with respect to it. Look how far they've come. I don't know what is going to happen with these people. Obviously, I don't. But I do know. The one thing I know, do know is that in 10 years, Tom and Greg will be friends. I think Matson is going to. I'm sure of that. I think if the deal goes forward in any shape or form, Matson's going to have Tom, Greg fire Tom. And that's going to be a fun scene to watch. That would be fucking hilarious. And they're going to, they're going to be friends no matter what happens. Like, yes. And it will be the sort of like call and like Tom's like, why did you fucking call me? Like, stop fucking calling me. But he talks on the phone for two hours with him. Like yes. that kind of, that kind of friendship, like the like, oddball, like the odd couple where they pretend like they don't like each other, but they spend like half the day together. Or, or, or they do like the repeat loop of season one of where you know, they, they, they meet in like an office or they go out for food, whatever else. And uh, Greg makes fun of Tom's shoes being like, you know, boat shoes or whatever else. I can see it happen and I'm looking forward to it. Yes. A lot, a lot of, a lot of you still don't know how to dress jokes. Cut to Roman and Kendall meeting up again. Kendall says that Shiv has seen Valerie and he wants to know if Roman has seen Nate. Roman says that Minkin's team called. Roman says their internals, the Minkin's team internal polling is even worse. Now this is very consistent with the 2016 election where there was a, it, trust me, I know folks, I follow this stuff way too closely. There was a trend. So I, th- I, there was a trend in the 2016 election of the Clinton lead disappearing until about three or four days before the election. And it seemed to go back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like our, right. A recovery from certain information being released by the FBI there. Yeah. Right before the election, her polling started to go up again. So that's why the day of everybody thought this thing was baked. And I think that's what they're going for here. I'd be stunned if Megan doesn't win. I, I just think they're copying it. I mean, fuck, they did the, they did the paper boxes on the floorboard earlier. Like they, they copy shit from the real world in this show. They do. I just, I mean, the show continually surprises us, man. We got, we have no way of knowing here. Maybe this will be one optimistic element in the otherwise deeply cynical show. He says, we're coming. Uh, Nate, uh, Kendall says, and they want what? We're coming to give your guns hormone therapy. All your guns are going to be ladies. <laughs> it, is it interesting that the, the, the Mingan campaign has Roman on speed dial? Yeah. I didn't know that. I would almost suspected that. But apparently they got Roman's private cell and just call him. So a couple episodes ago, we learned that Minkin's team actually does a call in with the ATN editorial board, the news team. And we debated who knew about that. And we actually thought Roman wouldn't have cared. Well, when I remember specifically when I asked you, we we came to some sort of conclusion. But I remember when I specifically asked you, the first thing out of your mouth was you assumed Kendall would know you didn't know about Roman. Yes. So I can see how this would surprise you. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little bit caught off guard about how much Roman is backing the conservative horse this episode. 
Yeah. It, it could be pivotal. He's talking about, so he's now Roman is talking about three or four states where Connor's at 1% and that's somehow throwing things. Now this is a, this is a desperate campaign. If, if Connor is only at 1% in three or four states and Minken is trying to do, is even wasting anybody on that campaign is wasting time with him. I, I just, they're, they're desperate. If we're going 2016, we could be talking to Michigan and a Wisconsin here, man. It wouldn't take much. Gary Johnson situation. Yeah. So it just could be pivotal. If he was to drop out, the, his team is not, they're not, they're refusing contact apparently. So they've asked me to convince him to drop out. Kendall says, fuck that. Right? Like Roman, I'm going to give him bad brother of the week award. He was a very bad brother. This Roman's week. an absolute shit. This entire very, episode, very bad brother. And even Kendall is telling him like, that's... I don't think you should be doing that. Like that's our brother. Like that's our family. Like you shouldn't be pushing for him to, 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 to drop out. And then of course, when Roman loses his shit later, Kendall's the one calling him on it. Like, I don't know what's going on with Rome this episode, but he he's he's unusually cruel to Connor, and it's strange because in previous episodes this season he's been like the only person who's been like remotely concerned with what Connor was doing in the moment. Roman's been on tilt for a few episodes now, and he gets almost unhinged at moments. This in, in, in this one, it's interesting. Kendall's rationale. I think there's a certain protectiveness of, of Connor, but he frames it in that he just doesn't like Minkin. The effects bet like what what is it? Is it Victory Vans and those O'Malley fucks? Do we know what he's talking about there? Um, I think the Victory Vans is like a campaign reference, right? Like what he, what be he in was some sending, form, yeah. sending around. I don't know about the O'Malley fucks line. I don't understand that one. I'll look back up what O'Malley was in succession. But it, there seems to be a certain element of, yet yeah, A, let's not do this to our brother. And also, B, do we really want Minkin to win? I don't think Kendall does. I think, I here's, don't think here's, Kendall does. So Shiv votes for Jimenez. Roman doesn't vote, and if he was going to vote, he would vote for Minkin. I think Kendall votes for Jimenez. Like, is, Con- is Connor going to vote for himself, or is he going to be the one of those guys that votes for the other candidate? Connor absolutely votes for himself, thousand <laughs> percent. Anyway, Roman clearly doesn't agree. He says it would be good to be tight with Minkin. Kendall reluctantly agrees. He says, "I'll hit the libtards. You go hit the Nazis." <laughs> That's how they split. This Again, room. the political range is here. All of America present under Logan's former roof. The libtards and the Nazis. Tom greets Nate, calls him Nathaniel. You know, that's something I always do when I don't like a guy. I just want to point out. I call him the wrong name. Overly formal? No, I just call him the wrong name. Whatever. Okay. Like if – look. All right. So um, a, a guy named um, John comes in and I don't like him. I'll just call him Jonathan. Or if a guy named Jonathan comes in and I don't like him, I just call him John. So all those times you call – I'm going to remember all these times you call me Stuart now. I'm finally understanding this. Yeah, it's a big boy move. It's it's like uh, making fun of somebody's shoes. It's a big deal. Um, Nate says he won't stay long. Won't drink too much of your wine. Do you think that was a pot shot there? I I, I <laughs> Nate just trying to be polite. Otherwise, completely, it may be a little bit of a shot. Tom says no. Don't you worry. You gobble my gravlax, pal. Gobble, gobble, gobble the odd side dick. Gobble. Do you think that was a? I think that was a reference. Yeah. It's also interesting that Tom specifically grabs this wine off a tray to hand to Nate. Yeah, there's plenty more where that came from. It's light and fruity, and it's the kind of wine that separates the connoisseurs from the weekend Malbec morons. You remember the you remember the movie Sideways? I do. Yeah, when they just spent like forever trashing Merlot. Yes. Do you think that the the phrase Malbec morons is going to affect the Merlot futures, like the Malbec futures <laughs> or the Malbec futures? No, futures? no, I don't. I don't think Tom's going to drive down the stock price. God, that movie fucked up a, the, the wine industry. That was insane. 
Um, something comes up in jokes around with Tom about staying away from him. Tom mouths fucking asshole as he walks away from the guy. Yeah, I, I don't think Tom likes very many people he works with. I think Tom's also just in a shit mood. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if he works for this guy. They, they've heard this guy is Len, and I think he's a podcaster. So I think he's just a mover and shaker. But I, I think oh, Tom's must also be a just fucking in a shit asshole. Fucking, it must be they a know fucking podcasters. dick. Yeah, barely even tolerate him. Good lord, I can't stand anything they say. Cut to Roman talking with Connor. Kind of a biggie, actually. And a bit last minute, but Minkin's team called and wants to know if he would drop out. Connor points out polls are about to open. Roman dismisses that he won't be able to get off the ballots, but you could issue a statement. Spencer, what do you think about this move for Roman actually going to his brother and pitching this in the like 11th hour? Why? I don't get why he's so hard on this. I mean, there's there's other things they could be doing. It's a rough thing to do. He's often actually been kind of nice to his brother in the past. This almost seems out of character to see Roman acting like this here. It's very confusing to me. I don't know why he's pushing this so hard, other than maybe he feels like he needs a win in the face of Kendall's recent wins and seemingly sort of passing him on the horse track. Yeah, strategically, he's trying to earn them an ally. Kendall accepts that. But I'm with you, though. Psychologically, I think he just wants to prove that he can do something. Connor asked why he would do that. They said for the good of the Republic, which gets a laugh from everybody in the I'm room. laughing and, too. And everybody watching. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody. Who gives a yeah, shit? No one cares. <laughs> Roman says no. Well, then I have been authorized to make a follow-up offer, which is how familiar are you with Mogadishu? So apparently they want to offer him an ambassadorship to Somalia. And this, the fact that he has been has terms available that he can present at his discretion, he's not just conveying an offer. He's negotiating it. He is an agent of the Minken campaign now. I'd be pretty frustrated if I was Connor. I mean, I'd be like, dude, like, I know you're not going to, like, vote for me and support me. But good Lord, could you not fucking be across the table during these negotiations? Can you also, and, you know, full respect to... Somali and Mogadishu, I think even Connor conceives that as being a bit of an insult, that that's what they're offering him right now. These are worse brothers than fucking Ragnar's kids in the Vikings show that I'm watching. Don't say things you don't mean, sir. The Ragnar's Ragnar's sons in in Vikings, woo, they they are not brothers of the year, I'll tell you that. Don't worry. They Don't worry. They find a way to make their being fewer brothers over time. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I guess that is ultimately worse than what's going on here. Connor counters with you and Ambassador. Oh, okay. All right. I got it. Aim high. Spencer. Spencer, I'd like to offer you a ride to the movies. Uh, Okay. Lee, I'd like to counter with a Tesla. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I will drive myself. Thank you. With the car car you buy. It's like, holy shit, you an ambassador. <laughs> Roman just says, all right, I'll report back. Roman almost seems to have no patience for the conversation from this Connor point. is negotiating. They started low on their side. He started high on his. Negotiating stance. We all know you're a conhead. We know it. We know it. You love Connor. Tell me, after this episode, you're not at least at least a little bit fond of Connor. I was so mad at how Roman was treating him that, like, Connor could have, like, literally fucking tripped on his tie and bashed his head against the coffee table and i'd have been like shout out connor like i just think it was so <laughs> fucked up what what roman was doing i was like anything anything connor's connor does happen to say some reasonable shit but like i was always going to be on his side of this episode this is kind of it's hard to say inexcusable behavior on the show because they all suck so bad but like this is really tough they've had lines though they have had individual lines that they either weren't willing to cross or at least didn't like crossing Roman had these lines, and he's just throwing them aside this episode. Cut to Frank arriving, and Roman comes up and asks if he smoothed things over with Jerry. Spencer, uh, how's Jerry doing? Uh, Jerry is 
<laughs> fun way. This is a fun thing to to interpret here. Uh, as Frank expressed, no, she's pissed. However, she's also got a plan. And Jerry pissed, and Jerry with a plan, may not be great for Roman, but it is triumphant for us. I'm not sure she's going to get hundreds of millions of dollars, but she's going to get a lot of money. She is effectively blackmailing not only Waystar, but Roman in particular. And yeah, she's going to have a payday. I got some questions for you. I got some questions for you when we get there, because I think she might be going too far. We'll see when we get there. Uh, so Tom basically says, welcome one and all. Uh, here's this guy. Like, and he has to hand it over to Kendall, which he clearly doesn't like. And Kendall starts greeting people. And I gotta say, like, he, he sucks, but like, he kind of doesn't suck. It's kind Does of endearing. It, 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 it's, it wouldn't work a big room, but small room. Everyone's kind of enjoying it. He everyone's seems having okay. fun. He seems okay. He seems like he does suck. Like, cause he's still weird and awkward and cringy. And like, I'm, I, my blood pressure shoots up like 20 over 10, like added to my blood pressure every time he starts to speak. But he does seem to be winning the room. He does call, call someone the pod goddess. It is interesting to me, um, as a, a uh, very, very amateur podcaster, how much they just take pains to shit on podcasting this episode. They just love to do that. This show shits on podcasters, and honestly, it shits on tech companies, given the two examples we have. Someone in the writing room has been offended. They don't like Spotify. <laughs> they don't like <laughs> Norwegian fucking tech companies and podcasting. They fucking hate Spotify. So uh he's as careful what you say. They go back and forth. He calls out Nate. He saw the polls this morning. He moonwalked over here. Nate is a true political operative and doesn't fucking want to talk about the poll the day before, which is what everybody who cares about a candidate should do. It's bad luck to claim victory the day before. Nate is Absolutely. not going. Nate, it's not going to do that, and it's good that he doesn't do that because the writing is setting up for Jimenez to lose. I'm just saying that. We will see. More than anything, also, Nate doesn't want to be highlighted that he's here and nah. doesn't want to. Actually, just doesn't even want to be present. Him being present is awkward for him. As for the campaign. He doesn't mention Tom, and Tom clearly notices that he's not been mentioned. They seem to have a cool little... Did you, did you catch that look from Tom? Yeah. Yeah. He just brushes by Tom. I mean, this, is, this is the issue, but, you know, the opinion on Tom, from the brother's perspective, is being set by Shiv. And so, from their mindset, fuck Tom. Because it's a tough one. that's what they've been getting from Shiv. It's a tough one, but we're all going to stay sane and friends, Kendall says. Good luck with that. She thanks Shiv for hosting. Kendall says, we didn't know what to do this year. You know, we watch history. We make history. And then one day, we become it. Kendall 2028. I thought that line landed pretty well. I thought the room actually kind of appreciated that. When he does a moment of silence, nobody guffaws. No one laughs. Everyone just kind of goes like, yeah, Shiv, right. Shiv guffaws, but no one else. Well, Shiv? Shiv guffaws? Oh, color me surprised. Hate mail is to Spencer, colon, to Spencer. If I would it, like to say you're not fair to Shiv. Can anyone, anyone say with a straight face that Shiv doesn't take every available opportunity to guffaw almost everything anyone else says around her? It's Shiv's default reaction. She looks at Roman and they're laughing at, at this whole, you know, moment of silence thing. And in comes Matson and his crew, and we hear Oscar right away. So he's brought Oscar with him. Matson walks in with a very strange jacket. It kind of looks like one of the old um, Billy Jean era Michael Jackson jackets. It really did. It really did. Or maybe some. Yeah, it's in that category. And we just had a moonwalking reference. It's like were they listening to a little MJ in the writers' room this day? I I also appreciate the symbol, you know, the symbolic nature of them showing up to interrupt Logan's moment of silence. Yep. On point. So good. Anyway, VIP in the house, Mr. Madsen. You don't get my sister's triplex in the deal, Madsen. 
jokes that they haven't closed the deal yet. Uh, it doesn't seem a lot of love between these two. Kendall says, my dad loved you all. We love you all. Let's have some fun. Let the games begin. How many people does Matt Snap with him? He's got his number two and he's got his communication director that he used, that he used to date. It looks like he also it seems like maybe two, maybe two more people. So maybe like five. He's got a posse that came with him on this trip. Yeah, for sure. Outside Kendall's angry that he's there. Shift plays dumb and just like outright lies. Just a, not even a, Again, she's just lying. The, Shiv's not play, is not, you know, playing both sides. Shiv is st- straight up an agent, a Matson agent in their camp. That is the role she has adopted for herself now. Roman explains that Logan invited Matson and he emailed a yes like four minutes before walking in. Shiv asks if they can throw him out. See, just, just straight line. Roman asks if they can't afford to be seen. Roman says they can't afford to be treated him like the enemy. Kendall says they should hang tough, just stick to the plan, regulatory. You know, these assholes in here are assholes. Roman asks what Matson's game is, if he's going for freak out, or is he flicking the same beans as us? Woo. Man's got away with words. Shiv asks how they want to play it. Kendall says, there is too much peanut butter between us. That what is that a mean? way. It's too sticky. I think that's what he's going for. There's too much mess. It's too sticky. There's too many problems. Can you stick close to him? Uh, I didn't understand that. Shiv says yes. Well, he, he's saying it's, it's too awkward. We've got too much of an issue. It's weird. It's too odd between me and him. So right. Shiv, can you stick you're, close to you're, him? Ne- you're neutral. Does Ken, I think Ken this episode picks up that Shiv is. Oh yeah. Is he, I don't think at this point though, he has. I don't think he has interpreted her, you know, that she's not loyal to, not the presumed loyal third banana to his cause. I think he knows for sure when he tells her about the the issue with the India subs and she freaks out. I think he knows for sure. Well, that. he sets Greg on her. Yeah. So, yeah. Eventually, he clearly realizes. I still think at this point he has not realized that Shiv is doing what Shiv do. Kendall says they're going to guide him away from the high-value targets, refill his glass, run him in circles, tell people he's Looney Tunes behind his back. Shiv says, so, Operation just like nuke the Luke. <laughs> Shiv, uh, Shiv says she can do that. And off they go. Roman says, let's smash that Swede. Cut to Tom telling Matson that he's tired. Matson asking if he's more of a hands-on or an overview guy. Good question. And I think the only wrong answer is the answer Tom gives. He could have said anything other than just not committing and obviously appearing to suck up and find out what Matson wants to hear. That's yeah. the thing that's going to piss Matson off. He gave the only wrong answer. If he just maintained a normal human conversation of just having an opinion, they could have gotten out of this and gone fine. But again, like you said, so little confidence that he cannot commit one way or the other. Like he just can't because it does require a tad bit of confidence when you're asked by like a future boss, like a boss's boss's boss. Hey, are you A or B? And you have to say I'm A and you have to stick with it or I'm B and you have to stick with that. It requires a little bit of confidence and backbone to give that answer. Tom doesn't have it. So he just, just fucking flops like a fish. We can, you know, unpack the psychology and the reasons for it. I think lack of confidence and, you know, feeling like he's the new man in the room and not having a base of support on this and feeling like he's just, you know, operating on a house of cards. All fine. Shiv summarizing him as being a servile fuck later. Accurate. That is how Damn. Tom run. Lucas says, you're kissing my ass. He says, no, no, you saw it a mile away. I couldn't be kissing your ass. Shiv comes over and Matson says, I'm about to take a shit in your husband's mouth and I'm pretty sure he's going to tell me it tastes like Coca Vong. For some reason, the subtitle said coconut. He said Coca Vong. I wanted to ask you about that because I wrote down coconut because that's what they said, what, what the subtitle said. So I presume that was accurate and he just pronounced it weird, but I just not what I heard. Matson's AI 
fucked up the the translation. Right. So I fucked up the subtitles there. It's Kokovan. We're it's getting to Kokovan. see a bit of their Indian numbers put on the screen right here. Yeah, it's like self-learning AI, but we had a mistake. Tom demurs, but Shiv just smiles through the whole thing. That's and says it's a really nice place. Who'll get to keep it in the divorce? Ow. And that, that one's rough. That one's yeah. like, dude, you're a guest at our house. What? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he, Matt, you Matson think, don't like, care. You think there's, you think there's bread and salt from Matson? He doesn't give a fuck about like how he showed up at your house. I'll say this though. Greg does an all time friend move here and does an over the top, way too loud laugh to make it make now the conversation about himself to take the heat off Tom because that line was a shot at Tom. And what everybody would be looking for a reaction from Tom, like you're getting a divorce. Like, do you want to talk about it? And Greg, Greg just does this over the top laugh. And now everybody's looking at Greg. So shout yeah. out Greg. Greg says, it's good to see you as he walks away. You too, Gary. He says to Greg, ah, oh, Madsen. Intentional, I presume. He totally remembers what, what Greg's name is. He just wants to. Or, or he doesn't. I think he does. And he's just being a purposeful asshole. Shiv then tells Madsen to hit Nate, Carly, v- Valerie first. Shiv then says she needs to keep an eye out for her brothers. You've done this before, so don't. Matson, scream at people. D- scream, <laughs> scream. Don't scream. People are data and stick my dick in the guac. My God, this writing. Don't scream. People are data and stick my dick in the guac. That's his. Yeah. That's his explanation of what like a fucking you know robot Elon Musk would do. Indeed, do not do those things, please. People no, are data. If for no other reason, it's good guacamole. Shiv, yeah, sure. Don't do that. Yeah, you're about to purchase one of the most prized cultural assets and political communication channels in America. See, Spencer? She gets it. She, she gets it. She, she understands what ATN is. She gets it a lot better than Matson does. And you prepare the ground because otherwise your many fucking enemies will portray you as some sort of jerk-off coder from Gothenburg, okay? But he isn't a coder, Matson. But I am a jerk-off coder from Gothenburg. He lied. Matson says, right, Eva? Shiv comes over, greets Ebba, asks how she is. Ebba, I am – who cares, right? I'll anyone, tell you this. Anyone who answers the question, how are you, uh, you know, who cares, not having a great day. I was just about to say, if I'm at a party and I go up to somebody and they say that line to me, I'm not talking to them the rest of the party because I don't think they want to be spoken to. I don't think they want to interact. Like I, I'm not trying to be rude to that person. I would, I think I would be doing their wishes, which is get the fuck away from me. I'll – I'll answer this in two different ways. If I don't know them and that's like my first interaction, they say that I'm not interacting further. If it's like you and you say that I'm finding out what the hell happened to you. Cause I want to be here for you. Yeah, that's probably true. If it's a, if it's a friend, you're like, Holy shit. Why are you in such a bad way? And, uh, <laughs> then fucking Matson comes over and goes, who cares? Yeah. Charming. So he sells her out. Shift then says, not that you need to do anything about this now, but you should fire your lobbyist, just so you know. She tells her they need rainmakers, not weather forecasters. What a fucking line about lobbyist. Whoa. Because that is absolutely the difference between a good lobbyist and a bad lobbyist. Is that like bad, good lo- like, I shouldn't say bad, but mediocre to bad lobbyist are more reporters. Mm-hmm. They're telling you, they're, oh yeah, looking bill, out the window. this bill's going through committee and I talked to so-and-so and they think it's going to pass. That's what you get. A good lobbyist is, it's going through committee, but don't worry, I'll fucking kill it. Like yeah. that, that's, that's a good one, right? And that's what she's talking about. It's such a good line. Eva it, says it's not really her arena. It's interesting how much Matson is shitting on his team here, but it's also revealing to the audience he does not have a team. They are just a kind of shitty run operation. It, what was presented to us was when that, they went to visit in Europe was theater, was fucking paper thin. 
Yeah. Like it was, it was thinner than the Waystar group by far because the Waystar group at least has some people who are dedicated to the Waystar brand and are good. Carolina, Jerry, Frank, like these people don't suck. Like it's a, I, I think there might be something to this idea that Waystar may reverse Viking. I don't know. Anyway, I, it certainly has better odds than we thought, than we ever would have reasonably thought before. Madsen tells me. I mean, are, are you are you reminded of that line from Jerry a couple episodes back of where she was saying, you know, they're young and fit, but they're European. They're soft. It's like, yeah. OK, Jerry, you actually read that correctly. Look at that. Yeah, it was all paper thin theater. Like there's nothing to this group. It's like fucking, you know, shadow on a wall. Not not helped by the fact that his number two is high as shit throughout this entire evening. Yeah, he's fucked up. Uh, and Eva says... I'm sorry, Matson tells you you don't have to apologize, Eva. It's just information we're sharing. That's all. Matson then tells Shiv it's some social anxiety. The only PR person in the world is talking to people. Shiv doesn't know what to do with all this. Eva explains that she doesn't love parties, but I'm good. I don't love parties, but I'm good. Hmm. What, one of the things is it's not giving Shiv – it's undermining what confidence Shiv had. It's like this is his team. These are the people he brought to this incredibly important event of where they need to put their best foot forward. And this is what they're offering me right now. But it's because he's trusting her more that she's seeing this side. She's seeing the real, what the real thing is behind the veneer. Oscar says, I love parties. I do. I do. Skull. Hey, Spencer, you know what skull means? Let me explain. So, um, in Norwegian culture, skull is like toasting. Yeah. It's like, it's like we clink glasses together and drinking. You say skull and everybody gets like really excited. And they used to do this in the Viking era. And I don't know if you know about Vikings, but they actually invaded England. It wasn't called England then. It was like Northumbria and Wessex and it was oh, really cool. Oh, which show do you know that from actually? Multiple. Oh, That's yeah. in- <laughs> Such a fucking Viking jag lately, man. And I, then I got Vikings Valhalla after this. I'm so excited. You need a break, man. Space oh, out your Vikings. Are you, I need a break. Who are you talking to? I'm going to plow right through this. Nothing but – I'm going to I'm gonna visit you sometime soon. You're going to have an actual altar to Odin in your house. This is Probably. the level of Viking you've gone. <laughs> Thank the gods. You mean God? No, the gods. Matson then says he has a number two who's moonbeamed on edibles. Check. And a communication officer who's terrified, a communication officer who's terrified of communicating. I'm not putting a check by that. I think she just doesn't want to communicate with you. I, I don't, I think she is suffering massively that she is still part of your orbit, sir. I think she actually can carry herself quite well, just not with your just oppressive influence upon her. Yeah, he used, he sucks. Like, I mean, I gotta, I gotta, I'll give myself like a modicum of credit here that I was on the like, you, call, and, you called it early that he sucked. Yeah. That he sucks and like he really sucks. And he also is like super socially awkward, which I called too. Like he's, he's way more socially awkward than he presented initially. And and when I say socially awkward, I don't mean like says quirky things. I mean like inability to do like basic back and forth with people. Yeah, it's a human. Yeah, he can't human very well. I mean, it's one of those things of where Jerry, like an episode ago said, well, you know, you know, uh, geniuses are allowed to be what weird or quirky or whatever she said. Yeah. It's like, I don't think he's a genius after this episode. I don't think he's a genius, and I don't think he's capable of some basic things that you need to do as a CEO. We talked about this with Logan, how when push came to shove, Logan could turn that frown upside down, walk around, shake hands, kiss ass, and make do. It wasn't his strength, but he could make do. Yeah. I'm not sure that Matson even has that skill. Like, I think he's too much. I think he's a bumblefuck. Like, I think he'll just, it's just, he's just bumping into stuff, screwing things up, offending people and not knowing he's doing it. No, he's, he's made, as episode summarized later, he's made billions by basically just getting lucky and marketing the right product. He's never actually had to work for it. Connor then tells Roman, no, on 
going to Mogadishu with his campaign manager. His campaign manager is an odd duck. Uh, Connor says he'd like to roll through the options. And then Connor says, as a brother, what's the top option? So he's just appealing to him as a, as a brother, which normally would carry some weight with Roman, but does not this episode. Roman has a little look at the list. Connor says he'd like to go to Europe, creep up through the underbelly, come up through the Balkans, couple of senior departures, Berlin by Christmas. <laughs> Roman says they're willing to offer him one of the slows. Slovakia. Yeah. Or Slovenia. Connor's a no on the slows. His campaign manager says South Korea. Roman dismisses. That's a push. Yeah, Roman dismisses that. Connor says North Korea. His campaign manager says Miley. So he doesn't like that. Connor mentions Nixon and China. Nixon and China seems like the type of thing Connor would really love politically. It is very much in Connor's wheelhouse. He also has those kind of elements of delusion of grandeur to think that he can pull off getting North Korea integrated into the global economy and political setting. Maybe. Maybe Connor's got like the Dennis Rodman effect of where he can actually establish a connection with North Korea. I have my doubts. Yeah, I, I love Nixon in China. It's like, you know, what it's like it's like the kid that like when you you're playing, you know, you play ball when you're a kid, like you're playing. Oh yeah, baseball. totally, like, all the time, every weekend. Yeah, yeah, you're big into that. You weren't of course, like, just yeah. sitting Sand, inside sandlot meeting. right next to my house. Yeah, absolutely. You overthrow the ball goes in the lake. Snapping turtle grabs the ball, and you're like, okay, I guess we're never getting the ball back. Then the kid goes out to the pond, comes back a couple hours later, goes, I got the ball. That's Nixon with China. Nick's, China's not opening up if it doesn't want to. The snapping turtle gave you the ball back. Like, w- come on, Connor. Like, China wanted this to happen. The credit for Nixon is that he went against the political will in the United States or the political pressure or the background of his own party to be the one to allow China to then integrate itself in the global economy. He, his risk was being willing to talk to China to make what China wanted happen. Snapping turtle ball. I think I nailed it. Yeah, you did. Connor then. Connor then tells um, him, well, look, I, I, I don't think you're going to get anything that has nukes. Or Roman says, I don't think you're going to get anywhere that has nukes. Connor says, well, that's insulting. I don't want to go anywhere that doesn't have nukes. <laughs> <laughs> You've denied me nukes. I'm making nukes my requirement. Uh, he says, how do you like Oman? Poor man, Saudi Arabia, rich man, Yemen. Rich man's Yemen. He has to see what his woman thinks about Oman. Good line, uh, Connor. Look at this guy clever on the fly. Uh, and you know, In terms of like relative importance... Oman does have geopolitical importance. It's, you know, connecting some major trade routes right there. It's a step up from what they've been offering him. I was kind of shocked that he was getting Oman, to be honest with you. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's not, that's not a small deal. Um, I, you know what I think you, honestly, my headcanon, they're offering him Oman, and if they win the election, they're not going to make it the ambassador of Oman. <laughs> there's nothing, there, there's no reason they have to do this. They're just saying shit. All they want out of him is a back out. They can do whatever they want later, and it's not going to cost them. Because you know what my – if I'm Connor and I take this deal, you know what my press release says? I would I, like to thank the Mencken campaign for offering me the ambassadorship to Oman. Get that in I writing I am no longer now. interested in running for president. Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. Um, so cut to Nate. He's telling Madsen that he's not a hater. Hey, I'll send you my nine ninety nine a month. <laughs> Subscription money. Madsen says, I, mean, I guess I'm just a – go ahead. Is Gojo Spotify? You made that reference previously, but is, is that the rough equivalent? Yes, that's what, okay. that's what that's what they're I think they're they're talking about here. Um because like even Sp- Spotify's gone through this period of like having this like epic platform, which it does have a great platform, but not having like great like a ton of content. So they've just like been buying up podcasts. Spoiler alert, they haven't bought us, but they buy a lot of fucking podcasts and just to try to fill up content because they just yeah. don't they have a massive platform but no content. 
So Matson says, I guess I'm just a self-made guy who came up with a product that people really love. And the lie detector determined that was a lie. Well, it doesn't. Um, and I also have a question for you. When he's talking to Nate and he goes, I guess I'm just a self-made guy who came up with a product. Doesn't he sound like he has a script? Yes. This is, this and I think like- he's, I think because of his potential regulatory issues with the subscriber concern, I think he's more nerve, more scared to talk to Nate than anybody. That's my, this is my theory. He's very like level. He's got like a script he's reading. He's not bombastic and like egocentric in his conversation with Nate and the way he is with other people. I think he's scared to talk to Nate. I don't think he's ever had to talk to somebody like Nate before. I think this is entirely foreign territory for him. And I'm, I'm with you. This feels like he's reading a script that he provides to investors rather than actually, you know, engaging another person. At best, this is foreign territory. More likely than not, this is just diehard uncomfortable for him. But Daniel is troubled by out-of-control algos. Daniel is Jimenez, right? Daniel Jimenez? Yes. Yeah. Madison says, in terms of all this, someone's got to pick up. So they, now he's talking about the Waystar Royco people. Yeah, I mean, he's expressing the fact that you know, the Democratic candidate has concerns about Google now running a media empire on top of what they previously own. It's basically where he's coming from here. I don't necessarily want big tech to run the, you know, the largest me- the largest media company in the United States. Unless you're Spotify and you're interested in buying some podcasts. And then we support you. 100%. We've already sold, we, we've pre-sold out. We have some people, pre, some people pre, are pre-tired. We pre-sold out. We pre-sold out. Gosh, man, I'm, I'm so sold out today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's not make that a thing. Uh, well, he says, look, as far as the Waystar folks and the Waystar Stuff. Somebody's going to pick up all these assets, right? So he's still talking about it like a part shop. He says it's going to be what? No offense, Jeff, but the fail sons. Is that a good option? They will do. Well, here's what they'll do. They'll do what he did, but they'll do it stupider and uglier and less amenable. Shiv then in a moment where like I've loved Shiv this up, this season, I think she's been the strongest Roy by far. Ugh, it's not a good look for her. She goes, well, he's actually really amenable. Like it's, it just seems beneath her and fake. Uh, Nate then asks about leadership at ATN and Matson says, Oh yeah, I'd make major changes to the top. And what? Nate really? just goes, Oh, Tom. This is one of several moments that Tom calls out later of where someone reads what they're saying. Cause this is what they're saying. And Shiv makes no effort to disavow them of that notion. <laughs> No, she just sits there. She looks a little surprised at this one, but later on she doesn't even look surprised anymore. Greg is telling Tom he can't get in to talk to Matson. He's slobbering up Nate with Shiv. Tom then tells the caterer to push more wine. No, actually put them away to create a scarcity. Artificial thing. scarcity with respect to your shit wine. Sure, maybe that'll work. <laughs> Man, why does he care so much if people like this fucking pride? Wine? Again, so much about Tom is just <laughs> stupid pride. And the wine is now another factor in that. Damn, who gives a fuck about the wine? Just Buy something else. Yeah. Nate then says, hell to Kendall. Uh, hello to Kendall. Uh, calls him brother. Uh, I thought that was interesting. They, they seem to have like a closer relationship than I had anticipated. Yeah, I hadn't really kind of read this at all. The two of them look like they were actually buddies at some point back, like either <laughs> when him and Shiv were dating or even before that, maybe. I don't understand it, but apparently they were. Maybe they went to school together or something. I don't I, know. I think they, went, think they hung out at some parties together. Yeah, I don't know. He went to school with Stewie, remember? They went to the same university. Oh, God. Were they all roommates? Was this their mangum? Oh, man. Just way more successful. Just way more. (laughs) 
We've still got time, man. Unbelievably more successful. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, he says, what can I say? Jesus, I can't imagine. So he's trying to apologize about Logan, right? Yeah. Kendall says it's tough, but life keeps rolling. But man, you're throwing off some Kingmaker vibes. How's Daniel? Can I shoot you names? You'd make a decent cabinet for my fucking poker night. So he's just joking around. Well, I mean, he's saying that, you know, you were right. I forgot about this. Be right. I called out that <clears throat> Nate works for Gil, but. Kendall is at least saying that Nate's going to be a mover and shaker in the Jimenez administration. Yeah, he thinks that he'll – he'll and he's – by the way, he's not. He's going to keep working with Gil because Jimenez is going to lose. But if Jimenez, was, if Jimenez wins, then yeah, he has to – Deputy chief of staff? He's got a fucking staff of government. He's got to hire thousands and thousands of people. So yeah, could, sure. Could, could, could he be the Josh Lyman of the administration? You know, a deputy chief of staff kind of thing? I think my favorite my favorite Trump fact – since this is clearly relitigating 2016, is that, when he, is that when he got to the West Wing, he 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 didn't know that he had to hire all the people that were there, and then he got like overwhelmed about all the people that he had to hire. And it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. You get elected president, you have to hire a lot of fucking people like, directly too. It's like thousands of people directly you have to hire. Yeah, you I, you better have actually thought about that a little bit before you get in the building. Otherwise, your first year or two is now dedicated to that. And lo and behold, it was. You'd have a job, Spencer. You'd have a job. If I got elected, you'd be in the White House. You'd be, I, I, you'd be in the West Wing somewhere because that number twenty hour days. I will happily clean those toilets to the best of my ability. <laughs> Somebody get me a diet coke, uh, a cheeseburger, please. Tiny cheeseburger with tiny, tiny French fries. fries. <laughs> <laughs> Only Uh-oh. thing he eats. Kendall then makes a terrible mistake and says, "I'm just going to give you my rap straight." Nate is taken aback. Kendall says, "I think Nate. we make a we could be really good guys for you. Like, let me get through it, and I'm going to ask you your legal opinion here." Not legal opinion, you can't give those, but like a legal-ish opinion. Kendall says, I think we could be really good for you guys. Like I'm, I'm talking major recent, uh, reset of the dialogue, which I am personally invest, which I am personally invested. Oh, look in. at that, yeah. But that only happens if this deal goes away. Kendall, and I, in my notes, I say showing mens rea, uh, stops talking when someone else walks by. <laughs> 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 Not suspicious at all. I don't know. Like it seemed to have a guilty conscience. He then says, board wise, shareholder wise, we can't come out publicly. You should know that the deal is headed to the woodshed. Gojo has incredible growth. He's a charismatic figure, but he's going to get wrung out. And you know, there's legitimate concern here. DOJ, FTC, Balkan at the sports overlap, the FCC. So you guys, I do Spencer, please Nate, explain, please Nate's, explain to me why this is a real problem. Uh, Nate's cons- desire to get out of this conversation is very justified. There, none of this is good. This is so. This is really bad. Th- and it's so obvious. There's no cloak and dagger here at all. There's no element of, you know, shielding himself from just obviously, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours with respect to straight up these kind of dealings. None of this is good. Kendall apparently Either sucks at this or is just too damn confident for for his own good, or also really doesn't understand Nate. It, it's a it's a real problem because he's he's saying like I I am he's admitting that he's circumventing the the board, which has has to have the shareholders' interest at heart to try to subvert a deal. Mm-hmm. And if you have to, if you have to circumvent the board to subvert a deal, it begs the question, is it really the best thing for the shareholders? And I'd also like to make the federal government a co-conspirator in my own personal fraud. Can we arrange that, please? And a little quid pro quo. Can we do that? Yeah, and yeah. quid pro quo. Uh, and what I'll give you is I will, uh, change 
the news that's being reported on on broadcast, by the way, they talk about how this is broadcast because later on, Kendall says that part of the problem is foreign ownership of broadcast. So yep. the news that's coming on broadcast, I'll just like personally yeah. change it I'll, because you're doing me this favor. I'll give you a great first hundred days. I'll make Fox News nice to a Democratic president in the first hundred days they're in office. Can you imagine the blowback that would occur for you know, a president of where that came out that he arranged for that kind of deal. I, I it's, it's awful. Like, but I, I, I get the sense he's going to get away with it. I don't get the sense Nate is just like running to tell uh, regulators about this, but like, this is a real big, big misstep what, on his part. It's weird to say from a guy that his main prior role in the show has been to, you know, engage in infidelity with Shiv. Nate comes across as one of the few ethical people on the show, this episode of where his just is like, we can't have that conversation. I'm not going to fuck you, but I don't need to be here to be part of this anymore. Yeah. Anyway, Nate jokes like, I forgot how eager you were to get laid at a party. Clearly uncomfortable. Says he'll check in with his people. Shiv then pulls Matson into a room. Says, you're doing great. Immediate, um, immediately pleasurable. Uh, Nate, I, I really think he liked talking to you. Carly really liked talking to you. Matson says he doesn't know because he doesn't always read people well. <laughs> Shocker. Mm. Shiv then says he wants to... Um, to get her, uh, get back to the op-ed narcissist and the beltway psychos. <laughs> it's a good grouping of people. Matson, all right, bang, bang, bang. Matson says he thought these people would be very complicated, but they are not. Hmm. He, um, all they really want to talk about is money and gossip. Shiv readily agrees with that. Matson says, take me down to the paradise city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. So he's making a American music joke. Mm-hmm. Shiv then asked the million dollar question. What have you done for me lately? And, and this is interesting. We, we, I've been kind of pondering in my mind before this conversation why Shiv is backing the Matson train. I previously kind of just thought that she was figuring that, you know, that was their original plan, that she thinks her brothers are justified in thinking her brothers are morons and what their plan is going to be is going to wreck the yeah. company and ruin Agreed. their potential, potential ability. Instead, she just wants her payout. She wants to get her money. She wants to get out. Now it's making it much more clear, though, that she also wants a long-term, you know, benefit from this. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is that she hasn't clearly thought it out. She doesn't actually say precisely what she wants. It's almost like she wants him to fill in the blank for her. No, I think she's thought it through. What? But does she actually express a specific posi- position in this conversation? No, but I think I think Why what not? she's... Because I think she's playing coy, but I think the position she wants is to be head of the Waystar division of Gojo. Yes. I think that's what she, she wants some kind of because very she senior says, executive here. I don't think just very senior. I think the most, I think it's like Waystar will come over and will, will stay as a subsidiary for at least a period of time before if, or it may not get completely consumed in Gojo, but at least for a period of time, it'll just basically come over and get dropped under the Gojo umbrella. And she wants to be the head of it when it comes over reporting up into Madsen. And she says she knows the company. She knows everything, knows everything. Isn't always good when people say they know everything. She's collaborative. She has the name. I'm hot shit and I'm ready to go. She effectively wants to be the CEO that her brothers denied her. Exactly. That's the point I'm getting to is that like, she basically wants to take their job when the sale goes through. Okay, I'm with you. I, I buy that. Uh, how reassured are you and or Shiv by what Matson, how Matson responds to that? He just seems confused. Like he doesn't have a real answer for her. Like he, he seems he's like the type never of- never entertained the idea, I don't think. I don't think he, he's a guy without a, uh, you know, 
book report without reading the book. Like he's like, ah, he says, I don't, at one point he says, I don't want to lose you, which is a strange thing to say, uh, to somebody that who's talking about this level of being mm-hmm. high in the uh, company and this level of entanglement. Um, yeah, I don't know. He says, uh, you're doing good out there. She said, he says, um, I would, ha- I hate to lose you. So why don't we circle back later? He walks out. She says, you're doing good out there. You're like a self teaching AI. I would not be reassured if I was Shiv from this conversation. He gave her nothing to rely on. That she's going hard in his camp, and he was not even willing to offer her any reassurance of what she was proposing. Yep. We see Kendall. He walks up to Greg, calls him Boney Maroney. Ask Greg if he can look after Matson. So clearly doesn't trust Shiv anymore. He sees Shiv and Shiv and Matson interacting, and Kendall laser focus suddenly just goes, "That ain't good. Don't trust that, Greg." Number one boy, you're on it. Yeah, please, Greg. You're my best guy. Uh, Greg says Madsen has previously expressed what? a uh, distaste for him in the past, particularly his my particular flavor of me. <laughs> what what world are we in of where everyone's go to operative is Greg? I don't know. Maybe no, the real world. The mission. Maybe the fucking real world. He does. He does his job loyally. Directly with the best of effort that he can. Think of how good he was at collecting info when they were up in fucking Norway or whatever. Like he was crushing it. Also, he kicks ass with this conversation with Matson. He gets Kindle and Roman the information they want. It actually looks like he's ingratiating himself with them by the end of this thing. Well, he doesn't really get them the information. I mean, he he gets he sets it up. The, this, it's, it's incidental. I don't he, think he intended. He pisses to plan off this. Eva, so that holy smokes, you're giving Greg a lot of credit. I, I'm saying it happened because Greg set out. I'm not saying he made it happen. I'm not saying he willed it to happen. <laughs> but he is like you know proximate cause for it happening. I don't think we have to reach all the way to like there's Greg's the reason they found butterfly, out about the Indian butterfly wing making the hurricane. <laughs> it's a lot of butterfly like, but I do think we can give him credit for just doing a good job talking to Madsen. Like, that, 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 that unquestionably, yes. Yeah. Uh, Kendall says, just find him a blunt or something stronger. Point his dick in the direction of some fissile material. Yeah. So they're all like freely smoking weed in this house. I get the sense there's probably probably some coke being passed around. We, are, we saw Matson doing coke the last yeah, couple but, episodes ago. So we and, know that that's something he doubts. Oh, you, you, you didn't see the tray? The tiniest little blunts. Yeah. So he's, yeah. And maybe, maybe the blunts are laced, laced with coke. You never know. Uh, if Matson, if Matson's a guy who's just like casually taking bumps as he's chatting with, Shiv. uh, with Shiv a couple episodes ago, he's not like a one night only cocaine guy. So then maybe they have some cocaine around. Then we see Tom chatting with someone and the guy is asking Tom if he's going to imperil democracy on election day. Tom makes a you against the wall, you against the wall joke. And this is what you were talking about earlier. Shiv jumps in to undercut him immediately. Oh yeah. Come on, please. I can assure you, Mr. Mild here is one pepper menu item. Tom oh. really don't seem to like that when Shiv says that. <laughs> yeah, he says, thank you, dear. Then the guy says, plans after the deal goes through. I hear you may be going elsewhere, which, you know, like, that guy shouldn't have said that, regardless no, of what he heard. that's just awkward. Yeah, it's just a strange thing to say. Tom plays that cool, says he always has options. Tom says, what did you hear? And the guy says, well, maybe I heard wrong. Clearly not willing to engage Tom in it. Mm-hmm. Tom takes off, as does Shiv. Roman is on the phone, and he walks back in. That's some top shelf rat fucking right there. Uh, Roman comes up to Kendall, says the deep dive on Madsen is juicy, talks about Madsen sending The blood, blood. story was true. Oh, the blood story is very true. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, confirmed. It, Other independently sources. verified. <laughs> so he's been sending blood. And they even said bits of hair to Eva. The, the hair was new. 
Even, even oh Matson didn't want to own the hair. That is, what is going on? Kendall says, num, 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 as this is being told to him. Juicy, tasty up. stuff. Yeah. Nate then walks over, says he's leaving. Kendall tries to follow up with the previous conversation. Nate says, Daniel's people aren't comfortable with him talking to Kid about this. Coop likes I to yap. I, I, uh, yeah, looks, uh, looks, looks a little cozy. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I think it's a reasonable decision on their part to not want to be a co-conspirator to, you know, fraud. Good call. On the day before the election? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, good call. Also, a good call that not a good look for him to even be in the room. Probably should be leaving. Yeah, I think that's, I think he probably came there on his own accord. He probably called the, the, the Jimenez people said, Hey, I'm over here, blah, 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 blah. They said, You're, uh, say what? Get the hell out of Dodge. How about you not be there? Yeah, yeah, that's really great. But wouldn't you, what, yeah, wouldn't it have been great if you'd have heard like one of Hillary Clinton's like, operatives was at the murdoch's house the night before oh my god the the fucking the fucking what the the, the people who say it's all one party like that the the internet would explode with such in a heartbeat oh yum yum num 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 <laughs> get then keeps going amusing uh amusing that there are legitimate concerns nate says i'm gonna be straight with you I don't feel comfortable with the tenor of this conversation. Kendall mocks that, calls it a hall monitor. He says, I know you. I know who you are. Nate says, I don't know what you think this is, but I'm not Gil. You're not Logan. That's a good thing. Look at some actual ethics entering the succession show. Yes, that is a good thing. But Kendall just looks confused. He he can't imagine someone saying that and meaning it's a good thing. It's just not part of his world. It's because he's doing his Kindle, is his Logan impression. He's yeah. doing a Logan impression, and, and he doesn't understand why people aren't impressed with that. He looks legitimately flabbergasted to see someone ethically refuse to go forward with this and basically say, it's good Logan's not here anymore. I mean, the fact of the matter is that if Logan could have somehow lived another 40 years, he probably would have gotten himself in trouble the way he operated. Yeah. Um, he, he, he The world was changing, and his, his way of doing business is like not... It was like ethically compromised in the modern era. He was getting away with it because he's he could, older. He's he like, could hide he's things. Very powerful. He could hide things. But I don't. I don't think that that style was going to last well, that much longer. And I think he realized that. I think it's what Jerry said. But you know, we're going to get eaten up. Our world is ending. Seek an accommodation. I think Logan recognized that. Oh, I'm talking about two different things because I'm talking about his way of doing business and how he talked to people, mm. the quid pro quo stuff that he would do really explicitly. The, the backroom politics. Yeah, I don't think that stuff is as in vogue. Like, I think Jerry was talking about the, their business model and being washed away I think, by I think the tech they o- industry. I think they overlap. Will is talking to Connor and she's asking about where they live in Oman. She clearly Googled it and found the Sultan's word has the force of law, which is a tad unsettling. Connor's trying to sell her. Especially as a woman. Especially as a woman moving to the country. I would say. Willa points out her family and friends hate Minkin. Uh, that's actually kind of funny, right? Because like you could, you could totally hear like a former, former model from like the the Upper East Side of Manhattan being like, I don't know, all my friends hate Trump. Like, you know, like, yeah, of course. Yeah. And this blue dot, you know, that you live in. How did Trump win? No one I know voted for him. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You hear that all the time. (laughs) That uh, that was Reagan back in the day, but it's, it's been repeated since. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't, I can't imagine that like someone won outside of my immediate influence. Uh, Diplomatic plates. You can park anywhere. That is kind of cool. Yeah. You park anywhere, Spencer. Diplomatic uh, plates. Yeah, diplomatic you can, plates. Apparently, you can just drive on the sidewalk. Police can't even touch you. I love Willow's response about you know running over people isn't exactly a selling point. Hey, uh well, there's been some incidences lately involving diplomatic personnel in certain countries. For some of them, kind of has been. 
She's just being fussy because he's not talking about running over people. But parking anywhere you want is cool. Uh, yeah, look at poor New York trying to put tickets on UN personnel. Yeah, I know. Isn't that so funny? They always give them these, these people who are like from some other country and like parking tickets. Like they're going to pay. Hell, I don't pay parking tickets when I leave the state. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, some some nations have racked up like, what is it, millions of dollars in parking tickets? Yeah, never, they're never going to pay them. Cut to Matson and Oscar smoking and uh, speaking Swedish, Spencer. Did you get the Swedish translation for us this week? I didn't look it up. Sorry. Oscar calls Greg a hanger on. Madsen cuts him off. Says, we're on a charm offensive. Can you be kind? He cannot. No. Good good talk. Oscar says, can you fuck off? Uh, So Roy House words do get said this episode, although not by Roy. Uh, Which was worse? Fucking hanger on or you fucking dingleberry? (laughs) Hanger on. Dingleberry is nonsense. Okay. Madsen threatens to fire Oscar. He laughs. Madsen tells Ebba to fire Oscar, and Ebba doesn't seem entertained, nor would I be. Oscar asks Ebba if she's bored. I've seen him cut your balls a hundred times. Yeah, it's a little boring. Madsen asks um, Oscar. Madsen says Oscar loves it. He loves being fired. He, again, he's doing the thing he did a couple of uh, last episode, maybe, or the season episode. Everyone before. loves it. Loves it. They well, he's all doing love the bad. He's doing the bad comic thing. Oh, this guy right here. This guy loves it. He loves it. Look, you, yeah. you like the joke, right? That's just, just shitty comic stuff. He then says he'd like to fire her, but I can't because she's created and fostered this, uh, situation in which I find it very difficult to do what I want. I'm not saying you've done it on purpose, but it is quite interesting that you sort of tenure because we mingled. <laughs> what was you talk to Lucas? I'm gonna I'm gonna sit Lucas down with you for ten seconds. Talk to him, dude. Shut the fuck up. This is the best you can offer in terms of putting your best foot forward in terms of marketing yourself to the movers and shakers of this broader community. You need to leave. Find have Shiv do this for you. Recruiter for this purpose because everything you're saying is making you look worse. You have abused this woman. You yeah. placed her in an impossible situation. And you're blaming her for the fact that she's still caught in your web. Fuck off. He fucking stinks. Greg says he doesn't know if a Madsen's kidding or not, but he could help. I, I'd fire if you want. Greg says he's fire right now. I've got some recent experience in this area. Would you do that for me? Instantly. Sure. Madsen tries to call everyone around to make this like a thing. Greg's going to fire somebody here now. This guy's about to fire my senior comms. Eva says the jokes are funny angrily as she walks off. As Lucas calls her, he says... You know what, Lucas? I wish you would fire me. So this is where this is where the master tactician Greg has set up oh, Ebba yeah. to go upstairs to chest. get angry to give out. Oh man! Can you see 4D. the move? Can you just see the planning that went into this? It's just masterstroke getting them the information they need to just tank it all. Under Greg, oh, man, wonderful, wonderful business mind that Greg. Greg says it's not the attitude of the employee. He said that's not the attitude of the employee we would want at our company. Again, Greg's objective is to ingratiate himself to them. He is succeeding in that. Incidentally, they like him. he also wins the entire game. They like him. Yeah, they, they, instantly. They like him. Uh, outside, well, not instantly, was... but now now they're liking him. By the time they split, they are digging the conversation with Greg. Outside, Kendall is checking on Eva. On a human level. Oh, very human, what these two are offering right now with this conversation. He's so, aren't they kind? Ebba says she's totally fine. No, they are not. Let's just oh. have that on the record. No, oh, neither of these people are kind at all. What are you all. talking about? They're oh. checking on her. This woman, you know what? You were who I really wish had stayed just long enough? Nate. Nate would have had a kind conversation with this woman. No one else present, no one else present would have. You don't think they're having a kind conversation? No. 
No Why? Because it, because it's self-interested. It's entirely self-interested, and they're trying to pump her for information without the slightest care about what effect that that could have on her. Aren't you all about like outcome? Like that's what you're with with the Greg situation. I mean, they, they happen to be with being nice. humor. With they humor, happen, I can they joke to be about being it. Nice. I can still also recognize they're being almighty assholes. Eva says we've built his whole rep, which I sure is true. He's not even a real coder. Someone gave him like a box of tech and he took it to market, you know, bravo. Key detail right there. We've not previously been available to us. That's a real big deal that he he's lied about his technical skills. It's his biggest marketing point that he's a tech genius and it's just not true. Yeah. Kendall agrees with this and says we sympathize, we sympathize with all that shit. No, I mean, I'm feeling it. I'm you feeling the sympathy, man. He's, he's, he's a real warm person. Oh, she yeah. says, uh, she'll be out in February anyway. Kendall's like, well, that's a sham. But Roman picks up on that. Why? 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 Why, yeah. why are you out See, in February? <laughs> Kendall's claiming victory at the end of this, but he would have let that line slip by him because he just goes, "Well, that's a shame." Hey, but Roman know, goes, "Hold, why?" You know, Kendall doesn't need his siblings. Not like they offer him anything. Yeah, it's not like at all. Roman caught the central detail here that may actually allow Kendall to have a chance of winning. But no, doesn't need any of his siblings at all. One head, one crown. He says, "I feel." Like, I know, but what are the details? She mocks him about that. She won't give any details. Kendall's asked for a smoke and they keep talking. Presumably they get details later. Back to the party and Tom is asking for ATM headlines that call, or he's having to answer for ATM headlines that call Dim's positive polling a radical misinformation plot. <laughs> I can hear, I can picture the headline now. Oh, good Lord. Yes. Yeah. Mainstream media does the bup, bup, bup. Yeah, you can hear it. Um, he says, I like to keep things peppery. Which I think is a, a specific reference to what Shiv, Shiv mocking a minute ago. Specific reference to Shiv. Shiv then points out he's tired, says he can't be across everywhere. Tired boy. Spencer, question for you. Does she just enjoy insulting him publicly? Yes. What's, what's yes. that about? Like, um, is it that she feels superior or is this a romance, like, uh, like a masochistic, like, I like to step on your neck before we have sex type of thing. Uh, it, it reminds me of a comment that was made about Logan way back in like season one or season two. It maybe even been Shiv that said it, or maybe it was, maybe it was the mom that, uh, he would love a dog just to see how much he could kick it to see it still come back to him. And Shiv seems to be doing the exact same thing with Tom. She seems to enjoy being mean to him, being publicly mean to him, abusing him to a certain degree, just because she wants to see how loyal he is that he keeps staying by. It's interesting that she mocks him for being so servile when that's the main role she's used him in. Maybe she actually wants somebody to be more challenging for her, but it seems like she's almost... Some of the most entertainment she gets is playing off how servile Tom is that he doesn't stand up to her, that he just takes this shit. Yeah, I mean, I... um. I'm not sure what it's about, but I think even even the most ardent sort of Shiv supporters, I think it would be a real stretch to say that she's only giving him what he deserves. She also let's keep in mind here that I mean he's not a good guy, but like she's like she's mean to him without any prompting. Like it just seems cruel sometimes, and I don't understand where it's coming from. Yeah, I saw some people online saying, well, you know, she has all kinds of justified reasons for you know being mean to him, but it's like yeah, she does now, but. This isn't new. This is how she's always interact from Tom from the word go. It's just this kind of just sniping and undermining him. So Shiv points out some election office got bombed. Um, so I think this is a reference to something that happened in 2016. 
Mm-hmm. In 2016, about a week before, maybe a week and a half before the election, a I believe it was a Republican field office campaign like office, right, mm-hmm. got bombed. B- bombed meaning a Molotov cocktail got thrown in. In Hillsborough, North Carolina, which I lived at in the time. I was living in this area, which is not that big. It's like, like I don't know, 30,000 people or something. Um, no, it might be even less than that. This happened. A, a Republican campaign office got like basically something happened. It got destroyed, bombed, whatever. And it hit the national news because how tense the 2016 election already was. And there was concerns that this would sort of spiral and that like there would be something happened on the Democrat side, Republican side, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I just find it interesting that I think they're referencing something that happened in a city I was living in. Yeah, my absolute confidence to remember, I completely forgot about that, but yeah, bigger than hell, Hillsborough, North Carolina, Republican, Republican party office. Good call. Good call, sir. Local Republican headquarters. Yeah, it was, and it hit the national news and everybody started freaking out, but it, it turned out to be like a sort of, I think a file cabinet was an ICU type situation. Mm-hmm. So Kendall then goes right into it. Says Madsen numbers are funky. Roman, Ebba spilled, screwy metrics in India. I can't believe it, but these two stumbled their way into a way to beat Madsen, and it's unreal. Greg made it happen, man. Greg made this happen. Greg, move room shaker of the show. I think people are going to really latch on to this because they're not going to want to give Kendall or Roman any credit because they they suck as people. I think people are going to like this idea that, that, that Greg butterfly effect this whole thing into happening. Totally. Yeah. Absolute spider work in the whip. Kendall keeps talking. Says Madsen is betting... Um, He's betting ba- buckets what? of Southeast, South Asian packing peanuts. Uh, l- let's also just not, not in any way, in any way, bury the lead. How big a fucking deal this is. This is huge. This is massive that they got this information. This ship highlights later. Just the mere fact of this could just stop the deal in its tracks. It's like they don't need, if anything, I think Kendall and Roman aren't are getting in their own way with this. If they want the deal to stop, just go to the board right now. Right now. And you can make this happen. You, you have, they've given you the golden gun at this point. There's nothing more you need to do with it. Other than the fact they've got ambitions to weaponize it even further. Yeah. And I honestly think, like, they should just do it. They should just go to the board right now. Like, it's yeah. easy. Kill the deal. I mean, they can kill the deal, and also just the public release of this information will haul Gojo. That Gojo, you know, will be tr- treated as the proper paper tiger that it is. And then they can buy him up in any way they want. And then maybe the most, I've got multiple properties in the Upper East Side of Manhattan that I've inherited line of all time. He says, I fucking knew he was a bullshitter, new money, you gotta hold those fresh bills to the light. Just for the record... They're pretty new money too, right? I mean, they're dead. Second, they're second generation. It's like, they're not, we're not talking like, you know, a 500 year legacy or may, maybe through the mom. The mom but there's actually, the thing that, but the that, that money, money, the, mom, but the that's, mom is old money, right? But that's the thing, like, that doesn't really exist in America. Like, even the Vanderbilts are broke. Like, yes. it doesn't, it doesn't Real, go past a couple, it doesn't really come back, go past a couple generations anymore. Like, I don't know. Well, we don't maybe. have land money or estate money the same way they do back in the old world. Yeah. You know why? Property tax. They it's fucking a bitch. They never guessed for property tax. It fucked all the rich people. So, uh, Shiv is listening. He's clearly upset. Says, okay, uh, fuck. Cut to Matson talking to Greg. Uh, Greg is bragging yeah. about, go ahead. Credit to both in scene and out of scene acting here. Shiv plays. Sarah I Snook. Need, yeah. Sarah Snook and Shiv 
both play, I need to act like I'm uncomfortable and surprised by this with all but not reveal- devastated without revealing that I'm devastated because I'm completely over in Matson's camp. Beautifully, it's fascinating to watch. Greg is back bragging about all the people he fired while smoking weed with Matson. Matson says, I thought you were backwashed at the bottom of the gene pool, but this is something else. Greg says, Yeah, you underestimated me, and that's exactly what I wanted, Lucas. Mastermind. Banter. Banter. Mastermind. Such wonderful banter. Matson asked him how he did it. I don't know. I just do it. Just jackknife right in there and slit their throat. This is how Spencer fires people. Matson asks if it feels <laughs> shitty. Greg says, Not really. <laughs> Never does. You, you, you get a rush after about the 800 person you fired. <laughs> Greg says, not really. HR says I'm the right guy for the job because it looks like I care, but I don't. By the way, Spencer doesn't do that. That's not, that's not true. Well, well, Greg says, I, I have a, had HR say you look like the right kind of guy because you look like you care, but you don't. That has been said about me by HR. Before. Now that, that does sound right. And I can attest that you really don't. Um, I, I like that the conversation is going towards Greg. Are you just amoral? Is that what everyone's saying? Like Greg almost has to reach the realization when Matt points out to him. It's that, Oh, so you're a sack of shit. Like, no, 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 no. I'm a, I, I, I'm a good person. But like, I think even Greg's starting to realize here. Oh, this is kind of like you know. You're a bad person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the thing about being a bad person. I think is that like it, it, it tends to. I think it tends to creep up on people. Uh, they don't. They don't quite. It's frog in boiling water. Like, it's one little concession, one little concession, and then all of a sudden they're just a shit person. I think this is what's happening to Greg over time. He gets the name Slim Reaper, which he does not have a copyright uh, or trademark on. That should, is, should, that's Kevin Durant. He is the Slim, Slim Reaper. They have stole mm. that. I don't. I don't know. There wasn't an NBA fan in the uh, in the writers' room at the time, clearly, because that is his nickname. Uh, one of Kevin Durant's nicknames, Slim Reaper, and he calls him a butcher with a smile. This is Oscar in a different room. This is now at this point. Um, Shiv has pulled Lucas aside. She's confronting him about the ship because it's like. You can fully understand why she would turn against her brothers, just because they were obviously just boxing her out of the room. They were obviously going back on the deal from just the moment that their deal started. She has no particular loyalty to them. She thinks the chuckle fucks and they're going to mess up anything anyway. So she's going hard for Matson because that was the other option available. And now she's realizing that what she was intending to build a palace upon, not just made of sand, there's just no foundation whatsoever. And what's baffling is that he just sort of comes out with it. Like, He's oh, like, oh, yeah, oh, you mean on. the India numbers? How they're bullshit? So, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would make sense if there were two Indias. What? Question, by the way. He's saying this is a There ma- aren't two Indias, by the way. Th- th- there are not, unless we're calling one of them China. Um, question. He's framing this as being a metrics error. Is he just straight full of shit and this was just intentional lying about their, you know, subscriber numbers? We will never know because it's not not a publicly traded company. We'll never know. Your your assumptions. My assumption is it was an honest mistake and he went with it. I think he's too stupid to plan this. It's one thing I to, think it was an honest mistake and he caught it and he goes, "Oh, well, we're not going to we're going to roll that, that let's not roll that back. This is this is raking in money." That that is my impression too. It's like I think they made an error. He's not a coder. Um and they've just been trying to cover it up in the worst way possible for now a while. Anyway, not two Indias. And he no. establishes this in a very factual manner. But there isn't two Indias. There is one India. Very true statement. And Shiv goes, yes. <laughs> it's a long story, but it's like, you know, 
It's an emerging market, as if that has any fucking thing to do with how they count the subscriber base. Yeah, there's like two issues here. Is that it is a perfectly accurate statement to say that people that have gone hard in investing in India have occasionally lost their ass because it's an emerging market. It can be hard to actually, you know, make money in India, and particularly like when you're releasing, you know, tech kind of uh, products. That is a separate problem from your subscriber numbers in India are just straight up false. See, I think he's showing kind of how much he doesn't really know. I'm not sure that like India is like an emerging market. Like it's not a, it's not like a Western market, but like you can sell tech in India. Like it's not, it's not just, it's not all, it's not all fucking shanty towns. Like there's a billion people there and there's a lot of people with money and guess what? They buy a lot of fucking iPhones. Like you you don't, you don't make money the same way as you do in the West, but you can make money. You kind of just. Build and prepare for specifically the Indian market to make it work. I think it's just sort of reductionist to call it emerging market. And I think it just, it's great. It's literally true. I'm not quite sure with like some subscription service that you can get on your cell phone. Like uh, that, like that, that is something where there is a pretty large market in India that could purchase this product. Mm -hmm. Like it, it would seem strange to me to just bucketize it this way. I think what they're doing is like, Continuing to give us little hints that this guy's kind of kind of not like particularly astute. Well, the fact like, that the fact he's talking us through the idea there aren't two Indias gives us a bit of a hint there. Yeah, uh, solid point. But like, there's a lot of people in India who can buy who can buy fucking Spotify. Like, you, you know, you're not you're not waiting for another fifty years for it to come around for people to be able to like buy Spotify on their phones. This is true. Anyway, um, Matson gives some wisdom. He says, uh, <laughs> "I don't want some forum monkey shorting me." So he doesn't, he doesn't want to be the next GameStop. Again, his answer to, I'm now, I've realized that we were being fraudulent with respect to our, being inaccurate with respect to our, you know, subscriber numbers is, I'll just bury it somehow in this deal I'm making with purchasing Waystar. I have a question for you. Do you think that it's actually going to work? No! It's like, does this guy not know that the SEC and various other things exist? That he's purchasing a publicly traded can, company? I think he thinks he can just buy enough accountants to, to trick him. I, I don't. I think he operates in a world of where he's not ever really had anybody hold him accountable, take him to task, tell him that laws are actually you know are required to be followed at times. He may be getting a very rude awakening here. I think Shiv is freaked the fuck out to realize this guy hasn't had done. Any thought process whatsoever about this? I think it's just yet another. Like I think the I think I, I might be reaching with him calling India an emerging market as like a hint to us he's not that smart. But I I think that like you take that you take all some of the other things we've talked about. You take the fact that now he's saying that oh if the deal just goes through we can just make it all come out in the wash. Like it's like again and again we're seeing these hints. What the fuck does this guy have to offer? Like he is. I, I, I Kendall was right. He's just like he's just nothing. He's what? just. He's paper thin. It's also one of those things, too, about that your enemies now know this. You can't just bury it into the Waystar deal. That's not an option anymore. They have the information to, you know, kill you well, with. Well, but does she tell him that Roman and Kendall know it? I don't think she explicitly does. She she at least it kind of reveals that Ebba's now talking. But I don't think right. she explicitly says that Roman and Kendall told, you know, are aware of this. That is a good point. Yeah, so he may he may still be deluded enough to think that she's withholding that information somehow from them too. Matson with the golden line, or we buy a waystar and it gets lost in the deal dazzle. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> Shiv asked the very important question: 
is any of this legal? <laughs> he says, shit will get crazy good, is what he says. That's his response. You know, I love we'll when just a close cl- it quickly. It'll get it'll get crazy fucking good. You got to love when a client answers your question with that. It's like, is what you're doing legal? I, it's crazy good. It's crazy good. It's like that didn't answer my question, but it also did. So thank you. Uh, by next quarter, the numbers will be real. Probably. probably. Madsen says it's funny. You can fix it though, right? She says, oh, yeah, sure, I'll just build another India. Madsen says, I love that, build another India. That's my girl. Shiv says, fuck me, as he walks away. Not the good kind. Not the good kind of fuck me. This is a bad fuck me. This is a very bad fuck me. This is a realizing that, you know, she felt like she had two options. She went with one of them, and now it's turned out that somehow it was even shittier than the one she left behind. Roman comes up to Jerry. Oh, what a scene. He tries to talk to her. He says, uh, he tries to. He fakes her her voice really well. I thought it was Jerry who ordered a martini. I really yeah. did. I had to go back and, and listen to that again. Culkin That's is a good a, point. Culkin does voices. He asks if they can chat about things. She just says no. Jerry, Jerry, what? I think about me firing you. That wasn't real. It was like, you know, the head of the, like, you, you know. No. No. Okay. He says, let's have a fucking chat. I, uh, I'll stand in the cupboard and jerk off while you explain to me what the SEC is. Okay. So he is. He's whew. trying to treat everything as if it's okay. Everything's great. Yeah. Everything's a joke. Everything's fine. We're just the way we were two seasons ago. She's like, no, I'm done. Roman's like, bullshit. Dad, people fired all the time. I was just feeling kind of fireish. She says, look, I have some requirements you should know about, several of which have been officially communicated and some that I thought I should, uh, you know, say in person. Roman says, okay, woo, robo Jerry, scary, because she is sort of like very composed and talking in legalese. Well, it's notable that she's already basically presented all this to Carolina. Like Carolina is the one that we've always talked about. It's actually running the company. He's actually, you know, the confident, you know, business person. She's already basically gotten Carolina's approval on all these terms. She's just now letting Roman know about them. Well, now it's clear that Carolina hasn't told Kendall or Roman any of this. So, like, what is going on with Carolina? That she got all this from Jerry and just went, well, I don't know what to do with that. We we, we don't know when she wanted to present the information or it's also further evidence that the, uh, Carolina isn't a gray hair, but she's in the same category. Just don't fully respect the actual leadership. First of all, I want money. Hundreds money, money, of- money, money. Do you think she's actually going to get hundreds of millions of dollars? No, but that, that she'll get a lot. It, well, let me go through it. I have a question for you. Go on. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Roman says, no, pass. So I've retained personal reputation management and they will be on the line when Carolina does her background briefings off of my set of bullet points. I think what she's talking about here is when she, she leaves the company, there will be a bit, there'll be communication out about chief legal counsel of Waystar leaving and she wants this to be tightly controlled and her people will be on the line when it's yes. all done. And if there's ever a hint that her narrative is being changed in any way or threatened, she's fucking suing and she's putting pictures of his dick all over the internet. Your penis That's what will I'm be hearing. published. Yeah. Now, it's not clear to me that Roman ever put his face in said picture with penis, but that's a whole different story. A, a different head appears. Yes, but, you know, if you have, you have a picture of just a penis, I'm not, I don't know what, you, what you're proving there. Who knows? Maybe Roman's actually tattooed his name there. He might be the guy to do that. Romans with an apostrophe <laughs> list. Um, she says, I could have gotten you there, uh, but nope, nope. And they walk away. She's he's but, clearly upset by this. I, now, lo- I love that last nope of where, you know, could have gotten you there, but nope, nope. She's like, nah, water under the bridge. Sorry, bye. Okay. 
So you clearly think that Jerry is is going to leave the company. I don't know if we'll see Jerry again on the show at this point. I think I think I think she is she is made her decision. She is exiting. She is done with her shit. I think there's a zero point zero percent chance Jerry leaves the company. I think she's scaring Roman. She's trying to teach him a lesson, but she shifts Godmother. She's worked basically nowhere but Waystar for the past like forty fucking years or whatever it is. It's about to get good for her. I, 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 she's got too much leverage in this position. I don't think there's any chance she's leaving. This is just my guess, but I don't think there's any chance. Uh, so uh, we're on opposite sides of that one. We'll see how that shakes uh, out. My question to you is... You're zero. I'm 63. Yeah. My question to you, though, is let's say she is being real about this. Yeah. Do you think there's a chance she might be overplaying her hand a little bit? On the hundreds of millions, yeah. I think she's at best being metaphorical there. Um, but I... If this is her play... I don't picture Jerry making a bad play. I just don't think it's in character. I think she has the evidence. I think she has the push. I think how Roman went about firing her is something that she can heavily pitch in a way the other attorneys in her own damn department would recognize would look all kinds of hella bad. And Roman in particular would look bad for him. I don't think it's too much overplaying her hand, even if she, even if the exact terms are more negotiable than she's suggesting. I don't think that she's being serious. I also, but if she is, I think there is a, like a 10% chance that she might be a little tad aggressive with this and she might set off the entire like Waystar like apparatus against her. And that wouldn't necessarily be good either. Right. So I, I don't, I don't know, but um well, I don't think this is a straight, I don't think this is a straight, this, this has a. This stinks to me, Spencer. This doesn't seem as straightforward as we're just going to hear her like next episode. She had a big payout and we never see Jerry again. Well, this doesn't seem like that to me. The timing also could be just great for her to be to get negotiating terms she wants too, because if she comes out with some big scandal right now, it's going to affect the stock price in a way I think that she's read accurately that that is not what they want right now. And she doesn't want that either because she's probably got a shit ton of Waystar stock. Like <laughs> she wants that 192 buyout too. That's a game of chicken right there, but I think it's one that she could play. He goes over to Connor because he's really upset. And now yes, this, this plays it, this plays into my idea that like his whole thing with Connor is him just wanting a W because now it's amped up even farther. He's basically de- demanding this what? quick win based on what just happened with Jerry. Even was framed by Jerry about you could have succeeded if you'd gone with me, but now you've just fucked it up. Hey, Con, can we settle this now? Willis says people are freaked out about the political firebombing. Roman dismisses that and goes in hard, fired in the wastebasket. I think a file cabinet was in the ICU. So basically say, who gives a fuck about that? Anyway, Connor explains there's been a slight change of heart. Roman tells him, look, you got your bobble. Let's fucking write a fucking statement, okay? Wind up the old fax machine and fart it out to your oddball army. So he's just being mean right away and aggressive. And I I tell you, I think he needs mentally a W. So he's just being fucking just real mean to him. Everyone that he's counted on, everyone that he's had a hope of respecting him, have had a hope of him, you know, joining their team and succeeding through them has now either rejected them or distanced him or treated him as a second fiddle. This is something that he can accomplish on his own. It's on behalf of just another another person's campaign, but he's not looking at it that way. He wants, I'm with you, he wants this win. Well, it says they wonder if he invested too much to drop out now. Roman harshly says he failed and should try something new. I think I my my headcanon is that when he used the word failed, Kendall went whoop and started walking over toward the uh, conversation because he just appears by in, in a couple sentences behind Roman. I, I'm, a, I'm also I mean, I'm, a I also I'm like you I don't trust them making campaign to honor their promises, but also B if I'm Connor, 
I've, I I'm with you. I've I, you've spent too much to back out now. You kind of have to actually see this through to the end. Yeah. Willis says he Will, fought Willis hard. Willis also maybe possibly saving American democracy too in the process, but I think that's incidental. What? <laughs> Will and Greg, the political masterminds here. How is she? How is she? Play if that she, out for me. If she does indeed keep Connor in the race, and it does play a role in the election, that's oh, gonna, you think it's that Jimenez is going to win this way? Maybe, yeah. Oh, if you think if you he, think if, you if think the American parties this that could be interesting. You think American democracy is going to fall if if Mencken gets elected? Uh well, if it's representing 2016, it took a bit of a tilt, but it survived somehow. Roman would d- dismiss you offhand, dear sir. Well, I work for the Red Guard, so you know. Connor says, you see, that's the beauty of this little system we call democracy. Connor's showing a lot of patience here. Roman just says, Con, man, eat the fucking carrot. Okay, everyone in this room thinks you're a fucking joke. So tell your wife. So tell your your wife. He puts it, yeah, in in parentheses. Shut the fuck up. Cover her shoulders and pack a fucking bag for Oman. Okay, Kendall says, Rome. Rome. Kendall's serious here. Now he's a, he's a shit later when he's talking about I don't get I don't need these people but he's serious he's, here he wants like, he wants Roman to stop back the hell off Roman says I'm talking here it's okay and Kendall just says easy and Connor stands up and says there is there, oh Spencer it, this is, if there's ever been a line to make Spencer cry this is the fucking line right here I, I I stood up I paused I cheered this is a Spencer fucking line if ever there was was one I love it too there's one person here who doesn't think I'm a joke so that's who I'm going to listen to. It's a great line. It's absolutely wonderful. In the background was one of the more, also one of the more laugh out loud moments of the episode. Did you notice how Matson reacted? Pleasure, sir. You have my vote. If I could vote, e- even before then, when Con- when Connor said, "There's one person here who doesn't think I'm a joke." Did you see what Matson did? No. What did he do? He went. He put both of his fingers up and pointed at himself like this in the background. Oh wow, that's funny. I, I, I paused to see it. I was laughing my ass off at the same time. I was cheering. Great moment and a great episode. Yeah, that that's a really that's a really solid thing. Yeah, I wish I'd seen that. That's a great detail. Roman then babbled something about how he's just trying to help him, which I think was just him figuring out he'd gone too far and was trying to back up a little bit. Uh, Madsen says, "Really nice party, cool, cool family." Roman, thanks, man. Tweet about it. Roman's got a fucking line for you. You don't need even when he's made a mistake, you don't need to come at his head because he's yeah. really sharp. Rome walks off. Matson then starts it about New York, calling it a shitty fucking town. Matson says it's depressing, calls it second world. Kendall, I don't know, pretty happening town, famously. Matson says it's, it isn't compared to, uh, uh, Seoul and he says a few other. Singapore, Seoul. Singapore, he Seoul. It, he calls it Legoland. New York actually, uh, and I'll tell you this. So New York actually sucks. It's probably like, it's probably like the most lame, like pseudo insightful, like reaching to be it's rich, like so tired. tired. So Nothing tired. is ever good enough. Like will actually mansplain I've ever heard. Like it's it's so like that thing of it, I'm just some fucking tech bro. Nothing's good enough for me. Let me actually explain to you what cool is. It's the thing Madsen would say. Yeah, Madsen says nothing in New York that. Nothing happens in New York that couldn't happen anywhere. Kendall jokes, you should put that on a cup, and there it comes. He says, you should put that in a head shop. You should sell it. Good line of business for you. I heard you need new revenue. Oh! They're, they're having this conversation publicly in front of a room of movers and shakers. Everybody gets quiet and watches. They all watch this go down. He says, really good presentation, by the way. Can't hear. Can't, this is Madsen back to Kindle. Can't wait to hear those predictions about this. 
meaty predictions. I want to dig into those meaty predictions. At this point, everyone has stopped at the party and is just watching them. Shim comes up like she's watching a public execution. I mean, she's fucking like grim. Mm -hmm. Kendall says, I'm excited about that. Estimates, estimates. But you, man, your numbers exploding, right? Like literally unbeatable. Matson losing this fight, losing at 10-7, says, well, your numbers are gay. He found a way to lose even harder. You had this cute little valuation and your numbers came out as gay, which is like, it's a homophobic joke. It it also just sucks like a lot. Like yeah. and it's, it's not it, remotely it, funny. And it's like, yeah, this guy, this guy, ugh, he, he what'd you call him? Paper tiger? Yeah. That's about right. It, he's, he's humiliating himself in front of a room of the powerful people of America. Your numbers are gay. That's the best thing he's got. I'll say this, like the Roy kids suck and they'll fuck anything. They'll screw anything up. But you don't, I mean, they can verbally spar. They are good at that. N- none of them would come back with your, your numbers, numbers are gay. It's like, ugh. I felt, I felt, I felt that, like worse for watching that. That is nineties playground level of, you know, just quality response right there. Madsen says, let the wave, if you let it, let it, let it float out. He says, I, Kendall says, I am the wave. Kendall calls the deal the biggest overpay in history. Lucas gets up. They both he, mock He's still agree. punching him. He's still punching him on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Madsen is a toast and he goes, biggest overpay in history. Lucas gets up. They both mockingly agree that they love the deal. They hug it out. Madsen kisses his cheek. Madsen walks away. Shiv says, the fuck? Bit of a show. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things that Shiv does is she'll just walk up and go, the fuck? <laughs> she, she the fucks better than anybody else alive. <laughs> it's really fucking funny to me. And Top tells her he's going to bed. She tries to get him to stay up a little longer. He says, do you know what my day looks like tomorrow? She says, she, you won't be doing anything. Just looking at shiny foreheads. He says, he's tired because of all the fun gossip he's been hearing from everyone at this party in my house that I'm going to get shit canned. Roman says, I got faith. Kendall says, you've always been a loyal servant. He walks off. She says, sorry. Then she looks at Kendall and says, not helpful, which it was not. It was not helpful at all. Again, again, uh, Roman and Kendall are at the same mindset you are about, you know, how you deal with somebody else's ex. They're representing that because that's what they feel like Shiv wants. Yeah. For those that don't know, uh, when, when I'm friends with somebody and they're dating somebody and they break up. I am not going to be on that person's side. Like I, I am on my buddy's side to hell with whoever they go. I don't even care what happened. You don't have to tell me the whole situation. She's not in the club anymore. He's yeah. not in the club anymore. We're fuck, done with those people. Fuck that guy in particular. Yeah. Fuck him. Where he's out of the, he's out of the fucking cool group now. Anyway, Shiv says, you're tired. I get it. You keep on fucking saying so. So Spencer, I have a question for how do you want me to do this? Cause I do want to do what we talked about earlier. I'm like, I don't want to go through the whole thing. It's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of back and forth. It means- so, I mean, we can talk about how she says, maybe I've nailed myself to the Matson cross and he might turn out to be bullshit. I think that's a really good line. Well, I mean, it's one of the things about the start of this conversation is both of them are in emotional distress. Well, and neither of them want to talk about each other's. A, that's exactly right. They, they are, they're talking past each other because they are talking about themselves only. Well, it's because A, here's, I think, the perspective. Of where Shiv just isn't, you know, even in a headspace to entertain Tom's issues. She's just dismissing them as, you know, irrelevant or it's, or not real or just kind of fake. Tom, on the other hand, is not treating her concerns as legitimate because he sees them all as just being irrelevant to her and her position. Is that, oh, this isn't going to work out for you? You'll be fine because you'll always be a billionaire and everything works out great for you. So... 
both of them are utterly dismissing what is otherwise they're coming. It's like, I'm in a bad state and I'm looking for support right now. And they're both going, I'm not taking what you're saying seriously or I'm not even paying attention to it. Yeah. So Tom at one point tells Shiv, cause Shiv, when, when Shiv talks about this, this thing of, or when Tom talks about this thing of like, Hey, You've been talking about people firing me all night. She gives us a joke and he goes, can I, you, can you please explain the joke to me? Cause I don't fucking understand it. She says, I'm in serious trouble. She, um, she does not answer that question. She, no, does she doesn't. Not, not, she's not in the mood to, to address that. She's more. She con- says, fuck's sake. I'm not doing this right now. He says, I'm in serious trouble. That was a play. You will be okay because you were a fucking tough bitch. You will always survive because you do what you need. You'll do whatever you need. Um, wait, on and on they go. Wait, it, it's interesting because that is a certain, almost even even mix of respect and also condemnation. It's like you know you'll survive, and I I, I count your ability to survive, but it's it's tinged with because you're a self serving asshole. Yeah, and then back you know Shiv says this back to Tom. Real, he's, she's talking about the scorpion thing. Real friendly. Yeah, I'm a scorpion. You're a hyena. You're a street rat. Actually, no, you're a fucking snake. Here's a dead snake to wear as a necktie, Tom. Why aren't you laughing? She says, I wonder if we should clear the air. It's it's a perfectly fair comment on her part is that that was your joke was to compare you to a scorpion. Go fuck yourself. I mean, just straight up. That's just an asshole kind of thing to call another person. Eh, Even if you think it's true, it's still a jerk thing. I'm not sure it is with these two. Because, I mean, we, we just saw that Shiv gets off on, like, fucking, like, running him down badly to other people. Like... I'm not sure their dynamics that this is necessarily an, an overtly negative thing. I think she's going to paint it as such in this conversation, but I'm not sure it's off the tenor of their relationship. It, but is it mutual? Is she looking for him to fire back? I don't fucking know. I mean, they're strange as fuck, man. It's, I think it's, yes. I think it's hard. I think it's hard for us to internalize the giving of the scorpion and go, well, yeah, I would say fuck right off if somebody gave that to me. These two are whack. They're fucking, that's my official diagnosis as a podcast professional. <laughs> they they whack. are whack. They are weird. Like, I don't know what their shit is, but I, I, I here's one thing I do know through all of this. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm going to keep trying to get through this recap because it's a lot of fucking dialogue, but I think these two fucking love each other. This, you don't get this, this worked up, especially when they're both, I mean, Tom's really tired. He's got the election tomorrow. Shiv has, this whole thing with Matson going on, but they can still summon all of this emotion, this like concern, care, like worry, whatever to participate in such an emotionally charged conversation. My diagnosis here, these two people love each other. They'll be together by the end of the story. I'm not as committed towards that. I think they, when Tom says he loves her, I believe him. It's notable that Shiv Utterly, aggressively, angrily denies that's the case. What do you, what do you make of Shiv denying that he loves her? Is that, is that because, is that her own issues with love and commitment? Is that her needing to think that he's just a self-serving bastard? I, that, I thought that was a notable moment of she tries, A, she denies that she cares about him, which I think is at least, I, I don't think I go as far as you, but I'm with you. I think it's at least a bit of bullshit in the moment. But what do you make of her denying that he loves her? That, that's the reason he's with her. She said but her reasoning for saying yes to him asking to marry her was, was I was my want, lowest fucking app. And I don't want to make you feel bad. So it's important that she think that he doesn't love her. 
because she's it, she doesn't do well with turning him down when he he is saying I love you that she that she gets she feels guilty about that so it's important for her mentally if she's going to be like hey you can fuck right off like I, and I don't want any responsibility for you she's got to believe that he's not good that he doesn't truly like her. He doesn't, he's not really there for her that there's some underhanded, sketchy, schemey things. So she's going to read all kinds of shit into his behavior so that she can justify pushing him off the ledge. That's what I think. I think it's also just playing on her self doubt too. I think it's going into her mindset of why she always has an escape plan is that she always feels like everybody's going to betray her. That no one actually cares about her, that everyone is always just looking out for themselves. I think it's a key aspect of how she carries herself is that kind of doubt about other people. And the sad thing is that when people have that complex, which I agree, I think Shiv does have it, and I think it's probably justified. I think she's a lot of people have mistreated her. Like, but when you have that complex, when you have that complex, it becomes self fulfilling because then you start treating people like shit preemptively because you're scared they're going to leave you, and then people leave you because you fucking treat them like shit. And so it's just like round and round we go. But in this, they do touch on something that I think is pretty important, which is where he's like, "Hey, you were going to send me to fucking jail," and she goes, "You offered to go to jail." I think this. I I think they're going to end up together, but I think this this thing about. Tom falling on the sword for jail and her being okay with it will always be between them. And it's interesting too. She's, she is still not telling him that she's one of the main people that kept him out of jail. That she was the one that talked, well, not literally, but she was the one that talked with her dad about, you know, you can throw anybody in the bus, but not Tom, please. That hurt, that hurt her. That undermined her political capital. Do it for me. Yeah. That undermined her political capital there. Why is she, she telling him that? Well, A, because she's trying to push him away. She hates him in this yes. moment, whatever else. But She's trying to push him away because she's angry. But, but you don't get this mad at somebody you don't have feelings for. Like, I, I've bro- look, I've broken up with people that I didn't really like. And I, di- I didn't get this fucking worked up. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> they still care. Like, there's still something here, I think. I'm rooting for these two crazy kids. Anyway, they get to this whole thing about what happened at the end of last season where – Tom, in essence, sold the kids out, told, read the tea leaves to, to Logan about their next move. Shiv figured it all out. They're having that out. And she says this line, and you, you took away the last six months I could have had with my dad. And that's, Tom pushes back on that harder than just about anything else. He goes, no, you can't blame me for that. Like, I do think it's important that she not blame him for that. Cause I'm not sure there's any coming back from that. If she actually ends up believing this, I think it, I think it's just maybe just something she's saying in the moment. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Tom also, I think the, that's one of the biggest tape makers she throws at him. I think Tom pivots it pretty well that it's like, you know, I'm not, it's not my fault you didn't get his approval. That is Woo. entirely separate issue. His most, I'll say effective, but also just meanest tape maker, particularly given what you know, her situation that he does not know about is saying, I think you are incapable of love and I think you are maybe not a good person to have children. Dear A, it's one of the worst things you could ever say to almost anybody, particularly a woman. I talked, I actually, I, 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 I did a poll and like four separate women I know all agreed that's among the worst possible things you could ever tell someone whether they want to have kids or not. Uh, two, she's pregnant with your child, not that you know that. And three, it's notable that Shiv's only response to that, previously she's been firing back having responses to just say, well that's not a very nice thing to say, is it? Yeah, she didn't know what to say there. It's also, there, notably, it's the same thing her mom told her, right? Like a couple seasons back. Yeah, her mom told her. Well, she's yeah. Her mom says not everybody's meant to be a, a mother. She says um, he did tell her this too. It's another haymaker here. He says it's not my fault that you didn't get his approval. I've given you endless approval, and it doesn't fill you up because you're broken. And 
I think that that, that rocks Shiv too. Cause whenever Shiv gets rocked, she gets really basic with what she responds. She, cause she goes, I don't like you. I don't, I don't even care about you. I don't care. Like that's somebody that's on their back foot. She's not thinking of her next line. She's affected by what he just said. Well, I mean, throughout a lot of this, she had some good hits, but she clearly wasn't as, you know, she hasn't been thinking about this as much as Tom has in terms of preparing for this conversation. Cause a lot of her hits are very either surface or old. Like she just calls him a hick. She makes fun of his family at one point. Meanwhile, yeah, Tom is servile unpa- in your family. Your family's just wanting money or something like that. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tom is unpacking her psychology throughout some of this. Yeah. Tom fires back about his family though. He's like, that's not a fair characterization. And she's like, well, your mom loves me more than you. And you know, I have the name and I have the money. So maybe that's why she does. That's a tough thing to say. Anyway, uh, you want to score the fight or are we too depressed to even score it? I don't think there's any winners here. I think this is, I think Shiv rightfully mocks this conversation about, hey, we finally aired all this. Do either of us feel any better? I think, I think they, they both, I'm with you. They both care. Whether they're both fully accepting of that is a question for philosophers. Their own tortured psychologies is a difficult thing to unpack, but they tore into each other worse than they ever have before because they've been delaying four years airing all of these grievances and problems. And it's brutal, and they're all hurt, and they're all uncertain about their position, and nobody's sleeping tonight no matter how how tired they are. By episode nine, they're back together. That This is your bet? Yeah, for sure. So penultimate episode, two of them are, you know, back together and joined. Yeah, the people who break up are the people who go, is this just fucking over? And the other one goes, yes, please, God. And then they just walk away. Those are the people who are over. The people who are knocked down screaming in the fucking parking lot at each other, those are the two people who can't stay away from each other. Like, I I think these two are, are, they care too much. So cut to Kendall coming up to Frank. They've got so many problems. They've got so (laughs) many problems and so many resentments and so many issues. Nah. Everybody's perfect. Bobody's perfect. Mm. Cut to Kendall coming up to Frank. Kendall asked him if he had a chance to have fun out there. Frank said more or less, but the red wine smells like wet dog. Just more shots at the wine. Just can't can't get enough of them. That, you know the it, it, it's a it, it, no. I'm not even going to try to defend it. No, it's just shit wine. It's been shit wine since season two. Kendall just chuckles, says he wants to just do five, just do Frankie and Kenny. Ugh, that's never good. He says, I don't think the Kojo deal is good. And he goes down this whole road, right? And Frank does the, I'm a person with a legal background, not listening. Until Kendall says, what if I told you the subs in India are significantly inflated? That gets Frank interested real quick. And he says, let's run it all the way back. Kendall, Frank doesn't know what that means, but what he's talking about is the original fucking deal. The original deal before Waystar stock started to go down and Gojo stock started to go up. We the original deal was we buy them. Reverse Viking. We pillage their village. Waystar acquires Gojo. I think by the end of this, Frank's on board. The, the, the important thing to note here is that Kendall is also proposing that he be the one person to rule the company. He says one head, one crown. He says, what about your – Frank says, what about your siblings? S- siblings. He says, I don't know. Part of my plans, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. Again, yes. We're, we're, I thought Logan was dead, but look, here he is. Maybe, right. maybe not with the same skills, maybe not with the same end result, but we're hearing a lot of Logan things coming out of Kindle this episode. So, 
Kendall does not have the same skills as Logan did. He's not as smart as Logan. He doesn't have the common sense like Logan does. But also, he's got some things Logan doesn't have. Like, I mean, he's a he's fucking more pleasant guy to talk to than Logan. I mean, that shit, that shit had to hurt Logan over time, how much of a pain in the ass he was. So, I don't know. Maybe 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 it's not quite as mismatched as, as we once thought. So It's a useful thing to have Frank on his side if he wants to make this happen. Oh, it has to. Without that, it's, I don't think there's any way he's flipping the board on this. Um, and, and what I mean is flip I mean, the, the board will be against the sale once they find out about the fake numbers. I'm talking about flipping the board to him as sole CEO. Yeah. With Tom on the porch, that made me nervous. I thought there was a chance he might jump. He did not. He goes inside. He tells everyone to go to hell home. Such a Spencer move. Get the fuck out of my house now. I'm done with you. I, I have done that before. Parties we've been at. Ah. Going to bed. Yeah. Going to bed. Yeah. Everyone fuck off. That was fun. Now it's done. No, no one coming. No one coming here. I will return your text in three weeks. Kindle says good night, Tom. <laughs> don't don't forget your much. coats. Don't forget your coats. Everybody says fuck Tom. Big round of fuck Toms. Yeah. Kindle then says he's willing to take the big energy spot at the funeral. So I think we're setting up for that next episode. Well, uh, Roman, 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 Roman. I don't I want s- Roman running that funeral. I don't want this Roman anywhere near that he's funeral. He's not running it. He's just going to give a speech. I, I don't want this Roman giving that speech then. <laughs> Fascinating. Oh, okay. Well, Schiff says it's fine. Paint it red. So she wants him to burn it down because he's in a foul mood. Yeah. And Kendall is only thinking about himself. So he just says happy. Um, here we are. Okay. Hmm, good night. Shiv is left there alone. Somber music plays. Shots of the city. We see Shiv laying down in a bed, looking pretty upset. We see Tom alone in bed, looking at the ceiling, still can't sleep, even though he's been expressly tired for like 12 hours. Episode over. So next episode, uh, I think we're going to get election. And I think we're going to get Roman speaking at Logan's funeral. Dear Christ, I can't wait. <laughs> All right. End of recap. Boy, that was a long one, but that was a wonderful episode with an awful, awful, awful lot of dialogue. Do you want to go into line of succession, which is the best line of episode in the entire episode? Uh, best one, line of dialogue in the entire episode. One question before we get there. In terms sure. of what Shiv and uh, Tom said about each other, do you feel either were everything they said justified do you think one's person's statements were more justified than the others? I'm curious to your thoughts, just as an overall summary of what they threw at each other. I think they're both about, I don't know, man. It's really hard for me because like, I, I do believe in like honesty. Like I do believe you should tell someone what you're really thinking, but I also just don't, don't approve with just like being mean to people, like just in any situation. And they're, so like maybe, maybe about 50% of it, but like they would take, both of them did this in equal parts. They would take a modicum of truth. This, this is something you did that was bad to me. That's offensive. And, but now let me wrap it in an insult. I right. also don't like this in a relationship like ever, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. I'd say uncle Lee out there to the kids, but people tell me they don't like that segment. Maybe I have to shut that segment down. How about this? Like, don't keep score. Like the scorecard thing and like pulling it at like, oh, well, two years ago you did X, Y, Z, so you owe me. Like that shit's going to lead you nowhere. Yeah. I mean, not, not bearing the lead on one of the relationship <laughs> advice the episode I was going to offer. I was going to basically say there's a difference between, you know, clearing the air and taking the opportunity to attack another person. Those are different things. These guys are, te- these guys are using the opportunity to clear the air to instead air grievances. Because to like if air you, attacks, to undermine each other, to get points. If you're That's with not someone, the same thing. Like you're absolutely right. It's not the same thing. If you're with someone who does that scorekeeping thing and will will pull up past shit every time they get mad, they kept lists. What you're what you what you're with is you're with someone who who you can never trust an apology because they tell you 
yeah, yeah. Like, or, or you like, I'm, they'll say like, I'm sorry, like we're good. And then, but you're not good because like a year later they're like, oh yeah, remember that time you did that shit to me? So you just can, you never can get any closure from any situation because yeah. they're constantly pulling shit back out. Yeah. Thank you for your passive aggression that you've been keeping for a year. Much appreciated. Yeah. Fuck that. That is it. That's a bad way to live. Okay. Quite- Line of succession. Uh, no, no, he doesn't want to swim around my dad's bullshit pre-election brain dead AOL era legacy media putrid stuffed mushroom fuck fest. Oh, and I thought that was going to be fun. It's, it, it's, Matson can turn a phrase, as you said. Uh, the back and forth, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll summarize it, but Logan's comment, I, I'm farting slip. Kendall's comments ah. to, 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 to uh, Riva. In the in the in the voice and in the language of Logan, it's as on the nose as this show can get on the subject of what where they're going with the characters right here. Uh, I loved Connor's line earlier, but the weird thing, honestly, is how much he's not there. I find that I find that consoling. We talked about that earlier, but I thought that was a a, a good line for showing how different Connor's headspace is compared to his siblings about the dad. Um. But yeah, uh, I'll say Kendall's speech. Kendall's speech opening the night. You hit, you hit it. It's awkward. It's not perfect, but it was endearing. And I think he really actually worked the room well with respect to it and ending up with a moment of silence that the, you know, Nordics interrupt. Yep. Uh, brutal line from Matson, but, uh, no, seriously, it's, no, seriously, it's a really, really nice place. Oh, you know, thank you. Thank you. Uh, who's going to keep it after the divorce? Jesus Christ, you just walked in. You're drinking their wine. Please stop. Uh, That's tough. That's a tough one. You said they're, you're in these people's homes, and I was like, as if Madsen – Madsen probably doesn't even know whose house this is. I guess, he, I guess he does because he made the joke, but like, I don't think that it fucking does not care to on it. his radar. No, he doesn't give a fuck. Eba, uh, good to see you again. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm – who cares? Ooh. <laughs> That's depressing. Uh, Roman, Khan, they're not going to put you anywhere with nukes. Well, that's insulting. I don't think I want to go anywhere that doesn't have nukes. You go, Connor, demand nukes. Uh, well, all right. Uh, well, how, how do you like Oman? Oman? Yeah, poor man's Saudi Arabia or rich man's Yemen? Well, I have to check, you know, see what my woman thinks about Oman. Clever from Connor right you there. You know that's not line of the episode. You're just a Connor fan. I, I'm keeping it because I love it. Are you, I don't get to pick these. I just pick the ones I'm amused by. Oh, I see. Uh, let's see here. Matson's summary about the fail sons and what he's going to do and wow, you know, he thinks he, that there's going to be stupider, uglier, and less minimal is the closest he gets to an effective pitch all episode. We'll call that a high point for the character. Like you said, though, it still comes across like he's reading cue cards. Uh, from Nate. Man, I forgot how eager you are to get laid at a party. Uh... Matson's line to Shiv. Let's, I would hate to lose you, so let's, um, why don't we circle back in a bit? Even before Shiv, you know, finds out about India, that one should have put her on notice that this guy's gonna be full of shit and you can't trust him. That he's not intending to offer you anything, run, run for the hills. Or even if he offers you anything, you can't trust him. Uh, from Nate, Ken, I don't think, I don't know what you think this is. I'm not Gil, you're not Logan, and that's a good thing. I'll see ya. Whoa, that, that is a, that's way up there. It may not win, but that's a, that's high. That's a great line. 
Uh, Connor and Willa, uh, diplomatic plates. You can park anywhere. You can basically drive on the sidewalk. The police can't touch you. Running over people is not a selling point. Do, do, do. Uh, from Greg, HR says I'm the right guy for the job because it looks like I care, but I don't. I feel like that's a hell of a succession-y line right there. Uh, the two Indias conversation from Matson is... The reveal about India was one thing. Having Matson openly admit it, it was just shocking. I was rattled. I was like, oh Christ, every Lee theory is not only being proved, it's being proved in spades about this guy. I had a good episode on the cards. No doubt whatsoever. The entire conversation between Roman and Jerry on the subject of what her plan is, about how she's not coming back, about how she's not dealing with any of his bullshit, and how yeah, it could have all been great if he'd only trusted her, but nope, fuck off. It's a little bit unfair, because there was that moment of when Roman was practically on his knees at the end of last season, begging her to support him, begging her to help, and she basically just said, remember, what's in my favor? What Do what's in my interest. You're not in my interest. She kind of let him, left him a little bit screwed right then, but, you know, that's water under the bridge. I think people like the like romanticizing the Jerry character because we like the idea of, like, this sort of, like, weathered woman in this, you know, male-centered world, like, rising to the occasion we, and actually we, we getting like one. competent people. Getting one over on the people that who have, who have you know, treated her poorly. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like I think she's a pretty flawed character too. They all they all are to varying degrees. She just comes across a lot better given how, who else she's being compared to, and she also is very good at her job. Uh, oh, it earns my heart, so just let me have it. But there's one person here who doesn't think I'm a joke, so that's who I'm going to listen to. Okay, you go, Connor. You go, Willa. You're awesome. Uh. Uh, one of the ones just to highlight from a, a few, I highlight just a few of my favorites from the Tom and the Shiv, but you are incapable of thinking about anyone other than yourself because you have no sense of who you are, Shiv. Because uh, your sense of who you are, Shiv, is that fucking thin. True, but also pot fucking kettle, Tom. Um, Shiv, oh yeah? You read that in the book? You are too fucking transparent to find in a book. Good line, but again, pot kettle. We've talked about Tom's issues there. Uh, Tom... I think you are incapable of love, and I think you are not a good person to have children. Well, that's not a very nice thing to say. I'm sorry, but you have hurt me more than you can possibly imagine. I do think that's true. At least that aspect of it. The rest of it's just kind of mean. Um, From Shiv, you highlighted this one. But in you, you took away the last six months I could have had with my dad. Tom, no, no, no. You, uh, Shiv, you, suck up, you sucked up to him and you cut me out. Tom, it's not my fault that you didn't get his approval. I have given you endless approval and it doesn't fill you up because you're broken. Whew. And then finally from Shiv, I don't like you. I don't I don't even care about you. I don't care. Have we cleared the air, huh? Feel good now? Yeah, fucking great. Tip top. And you don't deserve me, and you never did. And everything came out of and everything came out of that. I think that is part of part of the issue of Shiv's perspective on the relationship that's caused some problems. I don't know, I don't know how she ends that line though, but she says, so, so fucking flat. Do you know, do you know what she meant there? Yeah, she meant he was, that this whole situation, that her whole relationship with him, it all just ended the fucking dud. Okay. Like it, it's all, all disappointing. Makes sense. Uh, last line from Kendall, it may be the line of the episode just because of how, how brutal it is, but, uh, Roman and Shiv, yeah, I don't know. Part of my plans, I love them, but I'm not in love with them, you know? One head, one crown. All right, mind of the episode.
We have an honorable mention this week. It is Kendall, One Head, One Crown. Best line of the episode is Tom DeShiv, I think you were incapable of love, and I think you are maybe not a good person to have children. She says, well, that's not very nice to say, is it? So many brutal lines. So many implications there to that one. It's just like twisted and twisted all over. Um, Because I don't think he means it. And I also think that she's going to take that more personally than anything else. Uh, And I think that he's going to have a hard time walking that one back when he finds out she's pregnant. So we'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. All right. There you go. That's best line of the episode. Let's award Roy of the episode. Who's your, let's do loser first. Who's your loser this week? It's got to be either Roman or Shiv, right? I think it's got to be Shiv. I've been giving Shiv a lot of winners lately. Um, But I think it's got to be her because she... She shacked up with a guy who was, what'd you call him, Paper Tiger? He's Paper Tiger. He fucking falls right apart. He's flimsy. It's all fake. Like, he can be dead. The Gojo deal could be dead with one sentence spoken to the board. That's it. Like, and Roman and Kendall are going to do it. So, like, she she kind of, like, she just jumped in the wrong ship. She jumped in the ship it, that broke apart at sea. It's one of those things where Roman fucks up more than Shiv does. Shiv's just fucked. It's one of the situations like Roman's actions are his own damn fault. Shiv's she picked the she bet she's betting on the wrong horse. It appears it's not so much that she did anything wrong. It's just she had two bad options and she picked the worst one as it turned out. And and her and she's going through all the other relationships with Tom. It's like Roman, though he fucked up more though, is still left in a better position than what it appears to be Shiv at the end of this episode. Shiv. She's left without a pot to piss in, it appears, at the end of this. Now, it's a constant horse race. Things shift over time. But she's at a very low moment and seemingly has no one to really turn to. Not helped by the fact that, you know, she's she can't really vent to her siblings because she's been betraying them the last two episodes. Completely agree. Uh, I think that I think it's got to be her. Uh, this is a massive loss for her professionally and personally with the argument with Tom, I don't think it's quite as the argument Tom is quite as serious as maybe, maybe you do, but there's Mm -hmm. that's on the table, right? I mean, it it could be. So I don't know. Bad, bad episode for Shiv. Sorry for her. She gets the L this episode. Who gets the W who's the winner, the Roy winner this episode. Uh, We we previously made it. So Greg was always honorable mention. I'm inclined to give Greg honorable mention here because Uh, Greg is back to honorable mention this, this episode. I think he does well. I mean, the firing's rough, but he read, he read the pitch and he did his job. Did the same thing with respect to everything else he was called upon to do this episode. Did a pretty good job with it. Accidentally got the information that may win the day for his team. Credit, credit for Greg's honorable mention. In terms of the winner, is it Connor Willa or is it uh, Kendall? I think it's Kendall because Connor didn't Kendall, end up Kendall, taking... He, Kendall, Kendall's what, the Connor bigger winner. Connor didn't end up taking anything. He basically just got offered a bunch of stuff and said no. Connor had the moral victory. Kendall, Kendall had the, like, the pragmatic one. I think Kendall got the victory, but like every victory with Kendall, it's like hyper dependent upon the next step. Like he, he could, <laughs> can he, like he, can could, he land he it? Just, he absolutely could fall right off that cliff at any point. We know that. So like, I don't, I don't know that this is going to last that long, but for this episode anyway, he found a way to kill the Gojo deal and he's got one up on Madsen. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's your winner. Kendall, loser, Shiv. Sorry, everybody. I know you're going to hate that, but that's, uh, I think that's how it shook out this that's episode. That's the cards this episode. We can just call them like we see them. Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. Uh, we already went through one of them, so I'll just do one, one last quick one because we are going along even for us. But, um, think about how you present your partner to other people. 
that a lot of times, particularly for people that are in your friend group that otherwise don't interact with your partner as much, their only lens into how your partner is and what your relationship is is how you frame it. And so if you're only venting the shit, if you're only mocking them, if you're only presenting things in that way, that's the only way they'll ever perceive your partner, in this case, you know, Tom or anyone else. And that will be the lens by which they judge or comment or view not only them but also your relationship. It also should be a lens to yourself about how how you represent them can in some ways be how you feel about them even if you haven't thought about that yourself. So think about how you talk about your partner with other people, not only just because of how you want them to be perceived but also how you're perceiving them yourself because it can be a hell of an effective means of judging through how other people now regard them how you may think about them yourself. Yeah, and like some people do the thing where they're like, they basically just vent to their they friends about their partner. They only air the problems, and then and then then when they find out their friend doesn't like their partner, they get all like high and mighty. Like, how, how can you not like? You know, how can you, you say that about you my boyfriend? Only girlfriend? Like, told well, me I don't the know. problems. You, you just shit on them all the time. That's all. I, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great Spencer's relationship advice. The episode. Okay, let's wrap it up there. I think we're just we're cutting it just under three hours. We still have it. Still haven't set the record this episode, although it was a long one. I think this was a wonderful episode of television. I'm really excited for what the last three episodes will bring us. Spencer, I've given you my, my big prediction. I said Tom, Tom Shiver, fine. Kendall will beat Matson. That's what I've got. Any, um, any predictions before we check out here? I'm thinking it's going to end Godfather 3 style of where Kendall's going to win, but he's going to be all alone. That he's going to be the same kind of situation of his dad dealing with the fact that he is now running the roost. Maybe a weaker company, maybe a different company. But it's going to be one that he is now divorced from all of his family and friends with respect to. So it's a hollow victory. All right. I completely agree with you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate you joining us here on Line of Succession. And if you have gotten this far in the episode, you probably enjoy hearing me and Spencer talk. So you can go check out all of our other stuff at www.mangumtalks.com. You go to facebook.com slash mangumtalks or at mangumtalks on Twitter to follow our stuff. We do an awful lot of TV and movie reviews. We are also reviewing Ted Lasso right now over on the podcast feed, The Lasso Lowdown, which is a lot of fun. That's also in its last season, heading into the final home stretch. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. We will be back with you next week for Episode 8 of Season 4, the final season of Succession. Hope everybody has a great week. See you then. Bye.